You've seen those movies where they say, make my day, or I'm your worst nightmare. Well, listen to this one. Rubber baby buggy bumpers. Ha! You didn't know I'm gonna say that, did you? Your move, creep. she became the only thing in the world he wanted. Do you feel the way I feel? I don't know that I have the right to feel anything. Because a woman like that... Forget about right or wrong. Do almost anything to keep her. When love turns to obsession... For a long time, I didn't let myself want anything. This is what we don't do. We don't forget who we are. We don't forget where we are. You think that you're taking another man's wife? There are no rules. I love you. Shall I have him killed? Anthony Quinn, Madeline Stowe, in a film by Tony Scott. Where is she? Revenge. Hello, everybody, and welcome to another episode of the Film Feast podcast. I am your host, Matt Bledsoe, and this is volume four of Unscottable, which is our ongoing monthly series on the films with director Tony Scott. On this episode, I am joined by the person which who was the very first guest on Unscottable, and now she is back for Revenge, because, yes, she is back to talk about Revenge from 1990, starring Kevin Costner. Um, she is the host of the wonderful Schlock and Awe podcast. It is Lindsay Wilkins. Lindsay, how are you doing? Hey, yes, I will have my revenge. No, <laughs> um, no, I am so glad to be back for um, a movie that I thought I had seen and volunteered for. And then found out I had never seen it. So this is um, going to be a great, great episode. No, so thank you so much for having me on. Um, I always love being on uh, Film Feast. And to be part of the Unscottable series has been absolutely amazing. Well, yeah, thank you again for doing this. You're our first repeat guest on Unscottable, so that's fun. <laughs> so um, I it's, I feel, I, we talked about this before off mic, but I, I felt bad because we haven't really podcasted together in a long time Um because we talked about like for some reason in podcasting time, time just gets away from you and flies by and you're like, I talked to that person three weeks ago. And you look at your your feed and you're like, oh, no, it was three months ago. What was I thinking? <laughs> so, yeah, yeah. No, I've, I've actually really missed talking to you. So this is a really great chance because just a peek behind the curtain, we're doing a double crossover. So we just recorded some schlock and awe and now we're going to be doing some Tony Scott. 
Um, so no, we're getting all the chat in time. We make we're definitely making up for last time. <laughs> yes, yes, yes. It's gonna do double. We get together, do two shows at once for each of our shows, and uh, making up for lost time here. So yeah, I just I felt bad. I was like, I hope Lindsay doesn't think I don't want to talk to her because I do. It just it just it gets away from you so quickly. So, um, but I'm glad you're back for this. Good to have you back on this show. Um, and I will tell people right up front before we get into this. Um, you may have noticed on this episode, um, for the first three volumes of Unscottable, I was trying to do a thing where I would do kind of a cold open, just me talking, giving a little backstory. Um, and I was telling Lindsay this that I, uh, going forward, I think I'm going to stop doing that because, uh, I just said to her, basically it just wasn't a very fun thing to do because, um, it made the things, this is a hobby for me, obviously, as it is for like most of us, we don't get paid or anything. And, uh, I just want it to be fun and trying to do those openings because I know it seems easy and they only last like usually five, 10 minutes at the most. Um, and, but I have to write down like every single word. They're all, you know, I have to write out what I'm going to say. Um, and that actually takes a little bit of time to write down everything, <laughs> um, and kind of write down what I want to say and then to go in and record it and get it right. That's the big thing too. Like I could get five minutes into one and flub something up really badly. And then I think, oh, I've got to start over. I could edit it, but it's just like, I feel like I've, I just have like, I got to start over. It's just, it's, it's mostly a me problem, but I, um, all that information I would give people in the cold opening, just myself, I'm just going to now flow into the normal episodes the the conversation um i don't feel like i was giving too much extra in there honestly that i couldn't do in the episode and it'll just make my life easier because the other thing was i'd record the conversation and then go back and do that um little intro with myself after the fact which it was harder too because i'd be ready to roll and i'm like oh crap i gotta record the intro for the unscottable <laughs> so um still love doing these want to go through all those movies love doing it but i just don't want to do those intro uh, that's basically i just want to do it anymore i don't know how our friend mike scott does it all the time because i think he does uh, a lot of things by himself where he mm. does the, all this information he puts out there like yeah i don't so i don't enjoy it so <laughs> we're just gonna have a normal conversation and i will try to give everyone all the backstory i'd give them normally i just it'll be make my life a lot easier to do it this way <laughs> no mike is a machine i don't know how he does it either um he's just um i, I always wonder when when does he actually sleep because he does so much <laughs> and question. on top of this on top of his full-time job so it's just right. like how <laughs> Um, no, I, I completely get that. So we're going to go complete stream of consciousness, consciousness for this episode, <laughs> so, which kind of suits revenge, actually, I have to say. Well, it definitely suits the director's cut of revenge. The director's cut, we yes. We'll get into this. So, um, so yes, revenge from 1990, which is his follow-up, um, three years after Beverly Hills Cop 2. Um, so a bit of a gap there, because he usually... Mm kind of cranks movies out like tony's got a bit of a movie making machine um i've realized like um talk about a man who didn't sleep <laughs> yeah a man who does not sleep um he uh there's a great story from beverly hills cop 2 where i think judge reinhold said like um he didn't know where he got the energy tony scott because they would shoot um if they were shooting nights they'd be up from like i think it was like 7 p.m to 7 a.m oh. and then like when they were done shooting tony scott would go for a jog afterwards and he's like how the hell can you go for a jog after 12 hours of shooting a movie and it's you know we just we've been up all night um the man's got a motor like it, no one's business so um but revenge had a lot of issues getting going uh even before tony scott got involved because the oh, right yeah mm -hmm. yeah i don't know if you read about any of this so uh so there was a uh revenge is based off a novella by a guy named jim harrison that was in esquire magazine um in 1979 and was like immediately a hot property and all these people were interested in it 
and a producer named Ray Stark uh, got his hands on it and got the rights to it. And different directors kind of kind of were attached or interested, but they never went anywhere. Like Francis Ford Coppola was interested. And I believe John Huston was one of the names. Um, so John Huston would have made a really interesting version of Revenge. He would have. Um, wasn't <laughs> Nicholson not as a, a, to play the Costner role? Wasn't he attached at one stage? Or am I getting that confused with no, something you're, else? No, right. There was like a version specifically kind of with Nicholson in mind as yeah. the Costner part. Mm. Um, and it's so funny because I could see Nicholson playing the Tibby part the the anthony quinn part he is mexican besides that part I yes see, i could see nicholson playing either part um oh yeah but uh mm. but yeah there was a lot of things attached it didn't go anywhere it was one of the projects just set for like 10 years and mm. um there was almost a version with walter hill directing could you definitely see walter hill doing oh i could definitely see hill directing right this. absolutely alley. yeah um, less, I, less curtains yeah. but um less long <laughs> curtains in this less smoke <laughs> less light through curtains less Yes. <laughs> um, oh, that's funny. Um, even Tony Scott on the director's commentary um, says there are a few times where he's like, I think I went overboard with the smoke. <laughs> he's like, I think I used too much smoke here. Um, oh, which to me, God. I think, never enough, Tony. Never enough. But um, uh, the same man who directed Domino and Man on Fire suddenly realizes he went overboard on something. That <laughs> That is that is beautiful. I love that's it. He kept saying. He's like, I think I used too much smoke in this scene. Um so all these, it finally gets going. Um, it's still, even when it starts getting going, it still has delays. And it's funny because I was reading that the delays in shooting allowed Kevin Costner, who was attached as an executive producer, um, allowed him to go make Field of Dreams. So oh. because this kept getting delayed, he had time to go make Field of Dreams, which is one of his most famous movies, if not his most famous movie he's been in. Um, oh. oh, yeah. <laughs> it's definitely up there. <laughs> <laughs> and I just like the idea of people in 1990 going to see a Kevin Costner movie after Field of Dreams, and they got revenge. And it was like, they're probably like, what the hell is this? Um, uh, Costner had a, quite a year in 1990 because uh, Dances with Wolves also came yeah. out this year. So I don't know if this came out. So you would have had uh, Field of Dreams. You would have gone seen this and gone, what the hell? And then you would have, even the, the theatrical cut, you still would have been going, what the hell? And then you go see Dances with Wolves. And it's kind of like three whiplashes at once. It's, um, <laughs> no, it's crazy. <laughs> Costner really has a crazy run here, like from, um, it really does. Yeah. He before Field of Dreams, he does Untouchables and No Way Out the same year. Mm -hmm. He does Bull Durham, does Field of Dreams the next year, does Revenge and does Dances of Wolves, and then Robin Hood and JFK and The Bodyguard, um, Perfect World. Then it kind of starts to fall off a little bit, but like that run from like, uh, untouchables until i would even say like bodyguard's a big hit i don't know if it's a great movie but it's a big hit it was um, a big big hit that made that movie made bank <laughs> good it's a good run there so he yeah. this is in the middle of this crazy run and this movie i mean it does not do well financially uh, or critically even um cost like 22 million to make didn't even it barely made 15 million um so yeah i mean i feel like we're kind of like jumping right in but <laughs> i'll back up a little bit so so you said you thought you'd seen Revenge, but you had not seen Revenge before you watched it for this podcast. <laughs> yes. Okay. So when you came to me and said, or came to our, uh, uh, I guess our little group and said, hey, I've got this idea. And we went, oh, doing a whole thing on Tony Scott, that is amazing. And so we were just kind of going, oh, I'd love to do this movie, this movie. And I said I would do Revenge. Because I thought I had watched this movie as a kid, um, which now that I've seen this movie is yikes. Um, <laughs> even though 
even the even the theatrical um and i what i was mistaking this which i found out a lot of people have um was with no way out which i yes. had watched as a kid and had really enjoyed because <laughs> i remember uh-huh. before i knew i was watching revenge i was sitting and I was like oh i had seen no way out we'll watch this i'm watching it going oh I, this i thought this was revenge so what's re- oh shit what's revenge what is the movie that i just said i'm a fan of that i'm gonna go on to a uh, a tony um scott episode themed series about the love of tony scott and now i've got to go i have never seen revenge <laughs> the posters are shockingly similar for revenge and no way out they like, really are it's costner with the female lead they're like close to each like cheek to cheek basically and yes. i think they're both white like posters overall and it's like yes. they're very similar looking posters you could as a kid you could definitely mix them up especially oh. i know i had thought for years they were like the same movie or something <laughs> i was like oh wait they're different okay there's two different yes. movies that have similar posters got it <laughs> yes um i thought this was the sean young movie and with the gene hackman and which by the way no way out is a really great movie it is um good. the last yes, 20 minutes so, or so was amazing too in oh like, my god Pentagon? I can't remember. it's amazing yeah <laughs> the plot twist at the end of that movie had my jaw on the floor like i oh, did yeah. not it's perfectly set up but i did not see it coming um yeah so i watched revenge for the first time and my jaw was also on the floor because i watched the uh director's cut um okay. beforehand uh, before i watched the theatrical and um the time you get to the when they're driving along the road obviously they're running away for the little uh because essentially this is about men getting revenge over metal and stone which we will get into <laughs> um that piece of whatever um <laughs> I was watching a scene of Kevin Costner fingering Madeline Stowe. I mean, he really gets in there. This is like a full <laughs> camera zoom on this. Um, I'm sitting there going, I did not watch this as a child because I would have remembered that. And then um, she gets on top of them. They're all dr- it's really irresponsible driving. I was just going, okay, I know they're not going to crash because they're being pulled by another car because that's how you film those car right. scenes. But I was generally worried that they were going to crash <laughs> <laughs> just like no one is concentrating on the road at all and it was just going a lot further than i was expecting this movie to go and that is kind of the theme of revenge i every time i think they'll get he was going to pull back on something he doesn't um in saying that that's one of the big differences between what the, uh, people saw in 1990 compared to uh, scott's director's cut but yeah man he really gets those cameras in between Paul Madeline Stowe's legs a lot. <laughs> it's a very sexual movie. I, I Before we go any further, Holy I will kind of set it up because I think it's probably underseen compared to a lot of Tony Scott movies. And um, yes. if you don't know, the basic, basic plot is basically uh, that Kevin Costner is a U.S. Navy pilot, which is a funny connection to Top Gun. Uh, it's like someone made a joke that this is like the dark version of like Maverick's story after Top Gun, like where uh, a retired U.S. Navy pilot moves to Mexico He's still a very young guy, but you can get out of the military, obviously, very early and be like, I'm retired from the military and then leave. And um, so he doesn't know what he's going to do. He goes to Mexico. He gets an offer from um, a guy uh, named uh, well, Tibby. They call him Tibby. He's like he's a very shady Mexican businessman played by Anthony Quinn. But like he gives Costner an opportunity. They had met once when um, Costner, had, a character, had flown him to like Alaska for a hunting trip. Mm-hmm. And I guess... Uh, that, you know, he he just remembered him and was like, come hang out with me in Mexico. And he's like, okay, I don't know what I'm going to do. I'll go down to Mexico and kick around for a while. And uh, gets there and 
you know, finds out that uh, Anthony Quinn has this beautiful, beautiful wife played by Madeline Stowe, much younger yes. wife. Oh, uh, yes. <laughs> and uh, and of course, then it's revenge. So to, uh, Kevin Costner and Madeline Stowe uh, have a, a torrid love affair, I think is the right way to put it. <laughs> and things go badly pretty quickly. Um, we'll get into that. But it's like that's where the turn happens with the revenge. And uh, um of course, it's not taken well because Anthony Quinn is a bad, bad man in this movie. And uh, and then it's all about Kevin Costner trying to get back to him and get Madeline Stowe back. And we'll get into all that. But that's the basic plot of the movie. Anyone doesn't know. Um, but it's a it's a wild movie. Like it is uh, um, very sexual, very violent. Um, oh, yeah. Uh, so I guess I guess the best place to begin is and there's two different cuts because Tony Scott did not have final cut on on a movie to this point and the producer Ray Stark was the man who owned the rights to the story anyway mm. he had final say in how this was going to go and I was reading in my like Tony Scott book that I have that mm. there was a lot of clashing between Tony Scott and Ray Stark um, over how this movie would be mm. and uh, Ray Stark was apparently shocked but because he's kind of like an older Hollywood producer. And he was shocked at what Tony Scott was trying to do with the sexuality and the violence. And Tony Scott has very, very specific idea in his head that the movie operates on like instinct and feelings and lust and people just it's like it's it's on just like basic human like violence and sex. And it's like mm. he doesn't want to dig too much into backstories and motivations Like people are operating on purely on like emotions and Ray Stark if you watch a theatrical cut, it's almost, it's like over 20 minutes longer than Tony Scott's cut, which Tony Scott jokes about in the commentary is a rare thing for a director's cut to be shorter <laughs> than a theatrical cut. But he, Tony Scott cuts 20 minutes of the movie um, and you lose all these um, extra dialogue scenes, mostly. Um, you do. And Metal and Stowe characterization. <laughs> yes. Okay. That's the big thing. So, so, okay. <laughs> Complicated movie. Because I like mm. Revenge a lot, but I could not shake the feeling <laughs> that the movie feels. I'm so glad a uh, female is here to help me with this too, because it <laughs> has a feel of misogyny <laughs> to to the movie. Mostly because I feel like Kevin Costner, Anthony Quinn, kind of, especially in the director's cut, treat yeah. Madeline Stowe like she's an object that they are fighting over. Is that fair to say? <laughs> Uh, yes, and fucking. Um, yeah, yeah. <laughs> no, that I agree with. From what I can gather, I didn't get a chance to uh, track down the original noveler, but the original noveler was r quite brutal. Even though it was a hot property, everyone wanted to make it, but I think there was probably something about the sexuality of the original story that I think they couldn't quite figure out. And when you do see the two um, movies side by side, you're like, oh, no, I understand why certain decisions directors and producers made and what version of they wanted and I don't actually know if the theatrical even though they give Madeline Stowe much more uh much more of a character rounded character if that's even less misogynistic because it's still the same premise I, okay I, I've got to try and unpack I feel about this I did write notes <laughs> and I'm looking at them going oh crap how do I frame this okay um yes the movie is misogynistic because it is essentially um especially uh, the director's cut it is two men fighting uh, getting revenge on each other because they both in love well in lust probably more than anything with Madeline Stowe who's actually really great in this movie I mean she's just got this presence that you can't take your eyes off and I think off 
um, Cameron, you did mention that Tony Stark was a little bit in love with her. And you can tell. I mean, he's <laughs> yeah. in lust in love with her. He just wants to photograph her. Um, and But unfortunately, what happens to her, and it's not about getting – even though I think you've uh, Costner's on this kind of Mexican odyssey of trying to get Madeline Stowe back um, after they're caught having their affair, but it's not that. It's just to get revenge on Anthony Quinn's. Um, and it, what happens to Madeline Stowe doesn't actually matter all that much. The fact that what happens to her is horrific, um, and she's essentially slow, uh, sold into slavery, and is pretty much pumped through full of heroin and raped for the rest of the movie. And it's, it's just this kind of ugly, it's more fighting over her body and what happens to it, not necessarily what happens to her. So yeah, it is, she's a vessel to be screwed, to be fucked, to be toyed with, to be sold. She's, she's property to both of these men. Um, and even then the, the whole, the, um, whole house, which she is then thus been sold to. And even the guy who's been nice to her, the boy, is giving her heroin and keeping her right. pretty much drugged up for drugged up. <laughs> yeah. So no one's helping her, and it's just every time you cut back to her, you're like, oh, dear God. And it is just this kind of thing. So yes, I do. I really do enjoy, um, and I feel bad that I enjoy the director's cut a little bit more because I think the um, theoretical cut was trying to give was trying to make um, Anthony Quinn more of a bad guy. Like, I think you really, um, like, I think Tony Scott kind of stripped away all the characterization. So you're just looking at their actions, not their motiva- motivations. Um, so in the theatrical, I mean, Anthony Quinn throws a dog into a pool. And you're like, that was not necessary. Oh, um, <laughs> and, and then uh, you find out that uh, Madeline Stowe, she married him for love and she went out wants a baby. But unfortunately, because Anthony Quinn's old and skeezy, he just wants a young wife he can parade around and show, look out, look at my beautiful wife. And he does not want children. He doesn't want to ruin her body. Um, so you do feel more sympathy for some of the key players. And it's much more about these inner workings, trying to figure out the inner workings of these characters. But I just don't think there's enough there in the script and in the theatrical for you to really go, oh, yes, these people do have inner lives. They do have this because you can tell – Tony Scott did not make that movie, if that makes sense. No. So it's funny because on the commentary, um, Tony Scott refers to this not as a love story, but like a fuck story or something. Because <laughs> that's yeah, how it is. Yeah, story. It's, yeah. It's that's how it is in his mind. And um the theatrical cut I do think really helps um with Madeline Stowe's character. And this is how I took it that and that scene you just mentioned, I think is pretty pivotal where she's telling Anthony Quinn that she wants to have a kid. And he basically is like, no, no, we're not going to do that. And it's pretty, pretty a horrible man thing to say to be like, I don't want to ruin your body. Uh, you know, mm. it's like he's he in such control. comes straight and says, you're too, you're too beautiful to have a child. That's what he right. says. He doesn't want to right. get stretch marks. Yeah. <laughs> uh, and I think that really lends something to, I think it gives her more informs her decision to go off with Kevin Costner. Because even though it starts as like a very lustful thing. And I think it's funny because somebody's talking about it, like, it's like, they just want to have sex with each other. They just want to have sex. But I think you don't go to the lengths that Kevin Costner goes to get her back if you aren't truly in love with someone, you know? Um, so and it, it informs her choice, I feel like, more in the theatrical cut where it's so why, why would she want to get away from Anthony Quinn? Um, why would she think, oh, I could go have a life with Kevin Costner? They're mm. much closer in age. And it sounds like he wants things after he's retired from the 
the Navy um, so they can have a life together and have kids and all these things. Mm. That might be why they run off together. But you lose a lot of that in the director's cut. So, um, oh, yeah, when yeah. you said this, the one of the director's cuts to be more pure instinct, I'm like, oh, my God, it is because you don't you do not get any of those motivations at all. Right. It doesn't um, cross it. They just want to have sex with each other and run off together. But like, yes, <laughs> you kind of get more deeper meaning in the theatrical. So I, I know the argument is people think the theatrical slows the pace down, which it definitely does. If you add 20 mm. minutes to the movie, um, it definitely changes the whole pace of everything. Uh, and I'm still torn on which version I actually like better now because I thought I was going to be solidly in the director's cut. But I kind of see what the, the producer was going for with adding a little bit of extra stuff to the characters because you get a, you could be more invested. I, I think things feel a little less, uh, um, what's the word? <laughs> like it, I don't know. It makes me feel better about Costner and Madeline Stowe's relationship that, than more of just like, Oh, we just want to have sex with each other. You know? <laughs> no, it, I think that's the thing. I mean, I completely understand the producer, Roy Stark, was it? Um, who Stark, probably yeah. was, yeah, we was looking at the dailies and probably just seeing what this, what, um, Tony Scott was making and went, hang on, it's 1990, we've got Kevin Costner, who was probably just blowing up. I mean, he hasn't won his Oscar yet. He hasn't done, um, you know, uh, Robin Hood, Prince of Thieves. He's not quite 1993, 94 Costner, but he's almost there. You've got this really bankable star, um, and you want to make a movie about two people who just fall in lust, run away, then get completely slaughtered and the rest of the movie is this weird strange odyssey he goes on where he's just meeting strange people that don't necessarily make sense to the plot um because when you look at the theatrical the bulk of it is in the um i guess the compound with um tibby and it's kind of you're getting to know this world you're seeing those two fall in love you're seeing all these kind of character motivations you're learning more about tibby's business dealings the very shady shadiness of them and um, in the director's cut, you get barely any of that. You just sort of know he's dodgy. Um, Costner likes his wife. They go off. Then bad things happen. And then the bulk of the movie is him wandering around the streets of Mexico, killing people, meeting people, um, and all that kind of thing. And then, and, but I can imagine it going, no, no, no. We need to know these characters. This is meant to be a romance. Um, and all that kind of odyssey stuff that sort of is the bulk of the director's cut is pretty much the last 30, 40 minutes of the theatrical. I mean, it. I was kind of surprised um, how late into the movie um, uh, Ferreira turns up in it. Um, yeah, yeah. Yeah, in the theatrical. He's like, you know, um, an hour 30, and then he shows up. But where there's in the director's cut, he's like, oh, half, just halfway through. He's, he turns up a lot quicker, so he's a lot more in the, in the movie. So you can kind of see where where obviously Tony Scott wanted to be. He wanted to be, no, I want this um, weird, strange revenge journey where there's the producer goes, no, 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 I want the romance. I want the feeling getting to know these characters. I want that blockbuster element that I'm not going to get from whatever you're trying to do. So, yeah, I completely understand. And I'm kind of <laughs> torn. I, at, at today I'm with the director's cut, but a few days ago I was like, oh no, I love, I think I prefer the theatrical, but so it's, it's going to change. <laughs> this is one of the times when I can see the merits in both versions, both cuts, because like, yes. if you know what each cut is trying to accomplish and you look at them that way, you're like, oh, mm. well then mission accomplished. Because if Tony Scott is saying on the director's commentary on his cut, he just wants it to like move and act on instinct and emotion, mm. then it accomplishes that. 
if Ray mm. Stark wanted to have more backstory and more character work and more dialogue scenes and he did it. So I feel mm. like there's merit to both. It definitely slows the pace in the theatrical. And there's, I, I did note this, that um, Costner doesn't get his like first measure of revenge on someone in the theatrical until like over an hour and 20 minutes in. I think it's like an hour 25 um, yeah. out of a two hour yeah. movie. And yeah. then, um, yeah, it's a lot of, it's like, wow, he finally got revenge on someone. <laughs> And in the director's cut, I think that same scene, there's a scene in a pool hall or a bar, um, that's about an hour in. And then, yeah, so it the ending starts to move much quicker. Um, and yeah, it just, you get there quicker. You get there an hour in versus an hour and 20 some minutes in. Um, and yeah, a lot of the stuff you lose is like him and Tibby's relationship at the compounds. Mm. And Madeline Stowe kind of stuff that helps inform her character, which I think actually is pretty important. <laughs> um, oh, yes. <laughs> yeah. So it's really a movie where I, I would watch both cuts and get different things out of each one and see merit in both. And uh, um, I guess we should say, too, I mean, spoilers, it's a, you know, but it's a, um, when they run off together originally, um, they end up in like Kevin Costner's kind of cabin, seems kind of out in the middle of nowhere. Um, and it's like him and her and his dog and uh, and Anthony Quinn finds them um, pretty quickly, actually. <laughs> and they bust in the middle of the night. And it's that scene is horrific. That scene where they bust. First of all, they shoot the dog right away. Oh my god, that that kind of violence is horrifying. It is you kind of know that something bad is going to happen because it's called revenge. So this love story is not going to end in well. But um, the way that they shoot, and I kept going, "Oh, you're really focusing on this dog as his best friend." Oh, okay, right. And then just shoots him and he's banging against the wall and he's dead the bite and the violence of what he does to madeline stowe especially by cutting her face just to um because Mm. that you can tell that all anthony quinn in both versions all he cares about is her beauty um she says in both versions no i fell in love with him but he does not he she is a thing she is a thing a beautiful thing that he owns and since she disobeyed him she must now be um disfigured and and then what he does to Costner, it's a really short, brutal, and really effective scene. And I, I kind of do love the exploitation element of the director's cut. I mean, oh, yeah, the director's cut. Because it is very skeezy. It is very sleazy. They really um, linger on the sex scenes in the director's cut. Um, and they really linger on, on the on the, on the the violence in the director's cut. So you do get more of a consistent tone, I think, in the director's because – this is the movie he wanted to make. He wanted something that was skeezy, sleazy, got some flowing curtains, um, but is ultimately about violence. Um, and that's what you get um, with this. I think the theatrical, even though I do like the uh, story back, so if you could mold those, these two versions together, I'd be probably a lot happier. But um, <laughs> That's true. It's probably a happy medium yeah. somewhere. Yeah. Yes, yes. <laughs> happy medium. Like I want the length. I like the length of the revenge. It's like an odyssey. You're just meeting these strange, weird characters that don't really have anything to do with the plot, but you're just hanging out. Um, <laughs> and, I, and yeah, but at the same time, you're just like going, I don't, at least with Hunger, you cared about Susan Sarandon. You cared about David Bowie. And you even cared about, um, oh, my, uh, Bridget Bordeaux. Um, you cared about these people, even though it was so much more about the style and the presentation of the movie. I don't find myself doing that with revenge. Um, in the director's cut, for some reason, I think he's a lot better in the theatrical, but in the director's cut, Anthony Quinn looks like he's sleepwalking half the time. Like he's just this old doddery man who just doesn't quite know where he is. 
Um, and then the um, theatrical, he's a bit more of a maneuverer. Like you can kind of tell he's moving and shaking and he's a little bit more onto it. But, and Kevin Costner is kind of, uh, actually Kevin Costner is a weird actor for me. Cause I know the likes of Adam Brisky are big fans. I can kind of see the appeal. He's a hard one for me to pin down because he's in so many movies. I love like the untouchables and surprisingly I love field of dreams, but that's just could have been cause it was a lockdown movie and I just needed the joy bomb that that movie is. <laughs> um and jfk um and just because i grew up with it prince of thieves even though i'm not entirely sure if that's a good movie or not or if it's alan brickman's stealing everything but he's this weird guy who wants to be like this very stoic leading man but i think he's a big weirdo especially if you look at projects he's like like the postman um and i think i think he's meant to play someone there's no characterization but i think Kevin Costner's charisma doesn't necessarily suit um, Tony Scott's artistic style, and I don't think he'd meet that person until he met a gentleman called Denzel Washington, um, who knew how to mix that charisma and give him what he wanted and be able to jive, uh, flow in with Scott's style. So, yeah, I'm not entirely sure how to about Costner in this one. He's he's an odd one. Yeah, he's always been an odd one for me too because I feel like growing up um... – you know, I remember like in the early 90s, I feel like his movies were kind of like omnipresent, like he was in all these big movies. Mm-hmm. And um, I feel like for a long time, I didn't really get what, or I think I thought he was one thing and I kind of realized, oh, there's more to him than that. I always kind of thought of him as like clean cut, like American guy. Yes, yes. And then and he's he like, <laughs> you know, I'm <laughs> like, I didn't back. quite. No, he's not. <laughs> yeah, I didn't quite get it. And then, you know, I've seen him do other stuff. I watched JFK for the first time last year. And I think he's really good in that. And that's a movie that you yeah. can easily get lost and swallowed up in because there's so much happening. Um, he's great in that. Um, he, this is this to me is like not what I think of a Kevin Costner being like in a dirty, rough movie like this. Like I think of him as like very clean cut, nice, like Americana guy. And then he's in Revenge and it's like, um, and it's just so interesting. Like, cause that's not what I thought of him for years. I think I've come around to him more as an actor. I don't think I was much of a fan even that long ago, but I feel like I've seen stuff more recently where I'm like, yeah, I do like Kevin Costner. He's good. He's he's definitely always been like a comforting presence. I will say that. I feel like he has like an air to him that's like, you know, I feel safe with you, Kevin Costner. <laughs> it's dependable. No, I, I get what you think about the um the clean cut. And because I think that's um yeah, the Robin Hood um dances with wolves and field of dreams kind of thing. But then you watch him in Bull Durham and you realize how sexy he can be uh, when he really wants to turn it on. I don't think he oh, – Kevin he tries to dance in this movie and it's not not good. Um, <laughs> he's kind of more of a predator in this movie, um, mainly because um, of how the movie's just treating Madeline uh, Stowe. But, yeah, he's hard to pin down, and I've enjoyed him more as i gotten older because his grumpy sitting on a bench Costner, his uh-huh. – uh, his draft day, uh, oh, Costner, yeah, is draft day might be where I turned around on him, actually. Me that too, actually, <laughs> yeah. And I barely understand Australian sport, let alone what the <laughs> hell is going on in draft day. I, I, I'm just like, what is it? What you don't yeah, want that must be like a foreign language to you, oh, the NFL draft, and like, yeah, you know, it really gets in like the nitty gritty of the, the NFL draft. And like, I'm like a big football guy, and like, I was really into like. I would watch the draft and we'd do like fantasy football drafts over here where you, you draft like real players on your fantasy team and play against your friends. So yeah. I feel like that kind of appeals to me, but yeah, no, it must be super confusing if you have no idea about NFL anyway. <laughs> Can't even imagine. 
watching Draft Day is like watching a foreign movie without the subtitles. So I think it speaks <laughs> to Kevin Costner's performance in that, that I like that movie because I, I could not, the whole concept is strange to me. But so I like that. And so when you go back and you realize kind of how of a dork he is and how kind of strange he is. I and mean, when you're watching, yeah, like JFK, which I just a movie I just watched recently because I thought I had a um, Oliver Stone allergy, but um, <laughs> not so much now. But um, that movie, you could easily be swallowed up. And it's a testament to every actor in there that they don't because they're all amazing. And Kevin Costner with this broad, ridiculous Southern accent is just amazing because he is this crusader for everything that is good, yet he's a lunatic. Um, and I think he does that really well. I just, yeah, I don't, um, there's something about him that, because I think he's great in No Way Out. I think he's amazing and he's amazing in The Untouchables and because he, he's getting a very, he's, he's, Onto the style, he suits the style that the directors, that De Palma and I forget the guy, um, who I think it was Roger Donaldson or something, who directed No Way Out. Wrote, yeah, Donaldson, yeah. Yeah, um, but Kevin Costner just does not suit a Tony Scott movie, if that makes any kind of sense. I don't know what it is. I enjoy watching him on screen. I enjoy it, but there's just something about it that doesn't quite fit and I think it's just the art element and I don't know why Denzel suits it as well as he does because he really just obviously those two just get each other because he knows Tony knows how to film him uh Denzel just knows kind of his whole charisma just fits in so well with what he's doing but yeah there's a silent stoicness to Costner in this movie that I just even in the theatrical I don't think completely works and I think it's a little bit of a void and saying that, I've enjoyed everything else that he is in. Um, and I think he is good in this movie. I just think once Madeline Stowe kind of gets put away, um, I think the movie does lose it. But then you get Miguel Ferreira. And I ref- I cannot hate a movie that has that man in it. So when he comes up, I'm like, hey, Miguel. I do love, I do love when he shows up. And then John Leguizamo shows up. Yes, he looks like he's says. 12. <laughs> he looks like a baby, yeah. I don't even know if he says anything. I know he... If he does, he only speaks in Spanish, but he only yeah. says anything in the movie. Anyway. Yeah, yeah, he He's only basically speaks silence. Spanish. He's like yeah. Miguel for a silent partner. But um, mm-hmm. I love when they show up. That's why I feel like the movie gets kind of its footing back. I feel like it kind of loses its footing. You're right when Madeline Stowe gets taken out, and then there's a whole sequence there. So yeah, when they get attacked in his cabin, he Kevin Costner's like brutally, brutally beaten, almost to death. Madeline Stowe's face is cut. She's taken away. Um, they burn his shack down, but they throw him on like on the side of the road and leave him for dead. But he's found um, by people who, like getting back to health, and um, he's really fucked up. There's a part where he sits up and his eye is like the most swollen eye you've ever seen. Like, it's, oh, it, it's just like it's not the eye looks like it's kind of gone into itself. It's a really right. great makeup thing. <laughs> it is, it is. Uh, and th- th- that that kind of takes a little while, and then he kind of. Uh, he runs into James Gammon, I believe is the actor's name. Um, I, I should look that up. But um, yeah. he runs into him in town. And that's when he kind of finally gets he sees one of Anthony Quinn's guys in a bathroom or go to a bathroom and um, kills him there. That's another scene in the director's cut. That's like Tony Scott pointed out is like much quicker bathroom and like sees one of Quinn's guys and just kills him, you know, and throws him into the stall. And that's your first piece of revenge before. Uh, I, I feel like it picks up again after that point on. Um and it's just, yeah, Costner may not be the guy for this role. Like, uh, two things I don't think about when I think of Kevin Costner is somebody who's very aggressive and someone who's very, he's like a non-sexual being to me. <laughs> like, he really is. And the fact that he is so sexual. Yeah, he, yes, I agree with that. Um, he is meant to be this non-sexual being and the fact that he is so sexual in this movie. 
I found off-putting. And I think that's just because of my perception of what the, of the Costner that I grew up with. Um, and, and it's just, yeah, it's, it's a very uneven movie, even though you can see Tony Scott doing his thing. Um, cause he's definitely got a plan of how he wants to do it. But I think just because he's probably got producers hounding him going, which looks like it's a theme for this, for him, actually, he's like, oh. but I want to do this. <laughs> and they're like, well, no, we want you to make a movie that people want to see, not just movie nerds 30 years down the track. We want, yeah, we want this to make money now. Um, so no, you cannot do that, but that bathroom, first bathroom kill scene is amazing. Cause it's so scoty. I mean, that is not a place where you want to die is no, in that bathroom a dirty I mean, bathroom bar and or bar oh, and a bathroom in mexico like it just seems like a worse place to be killed um yeah, yeah and it's yeah. so effective because it's just this quick dirty he's not even you can tell he's unpracticed at this this is like a really sloppy kill as well because usually the action hero will just be like especially in a blockbuster movie of the early 90s they're all for it they know exactly what to do they're natural at it but costner's not and it's kind of sloppy and messy and awful and awkward and i do love that scene a lot yeah and i was gonna get your opinion on this for a movie called revenge i feel like the revenge is and this almost sounds like a knock but it's not i feel like you're trying to say something about the idea of getting revenge is that it's very messy and not very satisfying because jumping ahead when he finally gets to anthony quinn now i feel like he just wants to find out where madeline stowe is honestly yes. and he, and he doesn't even end up killing anthony quinn so it's almost like and he only kills a couple guys along the way to get there and the idea of it's called revenge but it's not super sensational when it comes to the idea of the revenge movie like man on fire is like denzel washington tears through all these people um to get back to dakota get dakota fanny back oh, and, I feel and like, that yeah. that ending yeah it's got Actually, Man on Fire is a really good comparison because it is kind of, you can feel revenge almost like a warm-up of him playing with ideas and then doing Man on Fire and then just doing everything right and giving you giving you that artistic, like, quick edit, quick edit, like this really kind of fast moving, you don't know how to keep up with it. Um, but yeah, then you get to the end of Revenge, but you are devastated because, oh my God, Denzel in that movie is just heartbreaking. And oh, yeah. Yeah. it is, it's, he's putting everything on this little girl to bring her back. Uh, but Kevin Costner isn't it. He kind of feels like he's okay. I want to find out where she is. Um, and so I'm going to go on this red, talk to these random people, hang out with these random people. Yes. I get to hang out with um, Miguel Ferreira, which is awesome. Cause in John and, and um, cause who wouldn't, um, <laughs> but it's just this kind of, Oh, and then he finds her and then, okay, uh, spoilers for the really, the really ending of Revenge, or do you want to keep that quiet? <laughs> no, you can go ahead. And I mean, I think we're pretty well into it at this point. So yeah. Yeah. Uh, yeah. She dies. She just dies in his arms and right. it's kind of meant to be, he doesn't kill um, Tibby and she dies in his arms. And it's kind of like everything was kind of pointless. And even if right. you do get that same tragic notion in Man on Fire, Everything is pathos. Everything is paid back. You feel every single moment, but the end of revenge, you're just like going, and okay. <laughs> it's, yeah. it's a little yeah. bit unsettling, which I think it's meant to be. I think uh, yeah. to sort of say, this is not the movie that um, Tony Scott intended to make, I think is wrong because I think he wanted the ending of you just like going, oh, so what was the point of all that revenge? Well, actually none because everyone's lives were just, completely ruined because everyone went by their instinct. If everyone just kind of sat back and took a moment, 
none of this would have happened and there would be no bloodshed at all and no and no heartache um but because everyone just went cock first it all just turned to shit very very quickly and yeah i think that's kind of the point of the movie but at the same time mainly because i just love madeline stowe in this movie so much i'm like oh really it's just you didn't even get a a, a heroic or you kind of did because she stabs the, the gross guy but at the same time even that's kind of pointless um it solves nothing and i think that's kind of the point of the movie but it feels like a a um a 70s movie but in the wrong era when you were not expecting that tone if that makes sense it does yeah i, I think the idea it's, it's kind of bold to call a movie revenge and then it feels like it's all for nothing that's kind mm-hmm. of the ending i'm i watched and i was like wow this was and i don't even mean that in a bad way like it's unsatisfying but i feel that it's, like you say the point he's trying to make is like the path that that Costner takes, it's like how that can be such an empty path of like, it's just all for nothing. And we're kind of left yes. like, wow, we did all this. And Anthony Quinn is still alive. Although his life is pretty much ruined and, uh, and he yeah. kind of ruined his own life. And then Costner's, he gets Madeline Stowe back at the end, but for like five minutes, then she dies in his arms. And that's the last thing you're left with. You're like, wow, that is a dark, dark, bleak ending that we are left with like, nothing good here honestly like um so yeah that's and the part two like that the ending kind of makes me feel worse about madeline stowe's character because it's like she doesn't even get to be saved at the end she just die- she goes through this horrible experience like mm-hmm. that if they put a bullet you know if they just killed her right at the beginning it'd be less horrible than what she goes through being pumped up with drugs and being raped by these guys coming through this basically this brothel and mm. then just dies at the end like it's miserable like it's just i yeah so it's not a fun movie i can see why it bombed it is not a fun movie by any means <laughs> like no and i think it's even in 1990 you're going to go see this kevin costner movie and yes you get to know these characters and you kind of feel for madeline stowe and then still that ending still happens and you're just like going oh oh okay i don't feel good and i was walking in um walking in wanting a movie that was going to make me feel good it's just that kind of um i guess um there's a movie i remember going to see randomly i think it was called in the bedroom it has tom wilkinson um and it's this really amazing well-acted directed movie but it was not the movie i wanted on that particular tuesday because it's so goddamn depressing and you just walk out going oh that was not oh i was expecting full monty tom wilkinson and i got that oh okay and that can happen to audiences. It still happens to me um, with the amount of movies I watch now. I still kind of go, yeah, I'm going to be in a mood. This is going to be great. And usually I love it when a movie surprises me. Like Revenge completely surprised me. But at the same time, I was like, ah, I'm a bit bummed out now. Oh, okay. <laughs> yeah, that's how I felt. Yeah. I didn't know, know what to expect from it. Because um, it's definitely one of Tony Scott's less talked about movies. Um, mm. I don't think I really even was truly aware that it was his movie. Like I'd seen the poster and kind of knew about it a little bit, but didn't know until I was really getting his filmography. And I'm like, oh, Revenge is kind of this weird, like thing that kind of pops up in between Beverly Hills Cop 2 and Days of Thunder. And then like, Mm. he has a really, I love the run coming up, like between Last Boy Scout and Crimson Tide, that little three movie. Uh, So it's like uh, Last Boy Scout, True Romance, Crimson Tide. Um, And then, so this movie kind of like, is like a weird anomaly almost and uh definitely not talked about enough i think it's good i like it Mm. i don't know where to put it in his filmography but um 
it's I, I should say this too. This is important because Tony Scott like had made a couple of these very glossy Hollywood movies in Top Gun mm. and Beverly Hills Cop Two, um, and was specifically looking to go do something darker and edgier. Um, he wanted to do The Hunger again. Basically, and he does mention mm. it a couple times in the commentary. He wants to get something more like The Hunger, at least, because he, you know, of course he likes making these big movies that make money and do well, but um, always kind of drawn to darker material, stuff with a darker edge, um, mm. which shows up a lot later on. Um, and he has pretty much free reign at this point because he's it's it's kind of his blank check movie, but not because he doesn't really have that much control over it, but he can kind of pick his project at, after two huge hits in a row, you know? So um, he goes looking for this movie or a movie like, cause he knew the story too. and was like, was on his radar to possibly make into a movie. Mm. And, um, and this is a weird period. Cause I feel like this starts like Tony Scott's, like I call it his really dark period because you have days of thunder next in the same year, but it's kind of a blip on the radar because um, uh, it gets kind of, it kind of pops up. But I think the dark run is like from revenge. Last Boy Scout is, everyone thinks it's really funny and it is funny, but there's oh, some really dark it is it is it's 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 almost it's not quite blood humor or red humor but it dances pretty freaking close to it i mean yeah it's super violent yeah it's um yeah i can't wait to hear your episode on that because there's so much to unpack in that movie because it is all (laughs) ego it is all probably too much cocaine it is all um because i think uh joel silver was on that movie again and yeah yeah bruce willis at his height of his ego yeah, they uh, yeah. there's a, that's gonna be a great episode, I think, because there's so much about Last Boy Scout. Uh, like, what a crazy bad. I feel bad for Tony Scott that movie though, because everything was just chaos behind the scenes. It sounds like and but, he uh, just did not have any control over that whatsoever. And you got Shane Black again, who's height of his ego. So it's <laughs> it's an amazing script. It's in, but it is so so dark. And when you read about what the movie was meant to be, you're like, holy shit, that's a dark movie. And right. <laughs> it's um it pulls back quite a bit. But yeah, he goes. I mean, even uh, Man on Fire, even um, even though I love Crimson Tide, Crimson Tide, the implications of that movie is dark because what they're actually arguing about is setting off a nuclear nuclear bomb or nuclear missile, and the implications of what that would mean are absolutely huge. And the fact that it's just left to you know a handful of guys who don't have any context whatsoever is so. Yeah, he does love the darker stuff more than his brother ever did. Um, and yeah, it's kind of makes him the interesting filmmaker that he is because he's, he, he's never going to shake that artistic want. I mean, yes, I think he thought, okay, I've got two big hits under my belt. I can make, finally get back to making an arty movie. I'm going to have flowing curtains when people are having sex. I'm going to have <laughs> Madeline Stone naked for most of the time. Um, I'm going to have this very kind of confusing um, relationships, like intertwined sexually, like, the hunger, all this kind of thing. But because he'd already made those two movies, I think producers were looking at him going, we don't want the hunger. We want Top Gun. Can you make Top Gun? (laughs) Um, And he's always pushing the sexuality, which seems to always shock producers, which I love. It's just like, even Top Gun, you were saying that they were dressed, uh, they were dressed too sexily. So he had to put more clothes on. um, (laughs) So it's, he's always trying to do this thing. And unfortunately he's gotten to the stage where he's making these big, big blockbuster movies and the two tones, he's not in a position to allow those two tones to mix. Yes. Yeah. And it's funny because you even took it one step further with the, with the dark period. Cause I, I was going to say, I feel like the dark kind of period is from is revenge 
uh, Days of Thunder is kind of a blip on the radar, but then you have mm. Last Boy Scout and True Romance. But I feel like he comes out of it by the end of True Romance because, uh, I mean, spoilers for True Romance, but, you know, you'll see only Scott podcast. But so Tony um, <laughs> Tarantino wanted True Romance to end with, um, um, you know, with uh, Christian Slater's character dying. But yes. Tony Scott was the one that talked to him and said, I really don't think we should go that way with it. He's like, he's like, I love these characters too much. I don't want that to happen to them. Um, so I think that's how he kind of comes out of it. And Crimson Tide obviously has very big implications of what they're fighting over. But like, mm. also at that point, the sexuality kind of not disappears. It kind of definitely goes away in Crimson Tide. There's no women that mean oh, anything at all. But yeah. <laughs> you lose sexuality. This is, this is men being manly. There, there is no, there is no and Stowe um, dancing on a beach. <laughs> right, right. It's like the kind, of, the sexiness kind of goes away because there's still. Uh, sexual stuff on that Boy Scout. There's still definitely a, ro- a romance, sexuality, and true, and true romance. Mm. But like, you lose that by Crimson Tide. It's more of a blockbuster. It has Denzel and Gene Hackman. It's like, mm. um, and then you ca- the fan is very dark. But and then like, Enemy of the States, a Will Smith movie. So it kind of goes. It I think she, there's a he's going through some stuff around this time too. He mentions in the commentary for Revenge where he's in like kind of a I think a dark place too because as I mentioned, Beverly Hills Cop two that he had an affair with um, Bridget Wilson. Uh, who was married to Sylvester Stallone at the time. And I can't believe he got away with it. was I, not murdered. <laughs> it's crazy. It's crazy. Uh, it's, it's like someone didn't punch his head off. But um, And then he was I'm married. Surprised, to... Yeah, that, that man could hire someone and you not and not find the body at all. I mean, <laughs> he, he was had that probably had that much clout. <laughs> it's, it's very, it's very bold. So yeah, he, um, that, uh, and then he, uh, ha- he has a wife, Tony Scott has a wife. And, and so, Salone and Wilson get divorced because of their affair and Scott and his wife get divorced because of the affair and like it seems like Tony Scott's working out some stuff in revenge honestly <laughs> like um relationships and cheating and yeah affairs and things like that um it's very interesting when you hear him talk about it because he, even he kind of admits he's like he's like yeah I was kind of in a dark place around this time <laughs> so oh yes though to be fair some of the director's best movies have come out when they're going through a messy divorce AKA True. Temple of Doom, AKA right. um, The Brood from David Cronenberg. All dark movies, even Temple <laughs> of Doom for what movies. it is. Some weird dark <laughs> shit in Temple of Doom. <laughs> uh, yeah, uh, and yes, Temple of Doom is very problematic in a lot of ways and you need we need you need to confront the racism when you watch it, but at the same time you're like, Whoa, Steven Spielberg was not in a good mood when he made this movie. Some <laughs> there was some tough shit happening. Bill <laughs> made a super fun kind of I always call that movie like a like a roller coaster or like an amusement park ride because it is yeah it's it, directed he directed amazing. the hell out of it but yeah I, I hate the temple of doom like slander that pops up on i feel like all the time where it's i mean crystal skull came along took a lot of heat for temple of doom but <laughs> but before that temple of doom was definitely like the red-headed stepchild of uh of that trilogy when it was just a trilogy and uh I thought it was so much fun. Like the first like 20 ish minute don't stop moving. It's bananas. <sighs> like it's a, he does it's... not stop moving the camera either. Every <laughs> shot is a, is a, is a swipe or a pan or a move around or something like that. It's insane. Yeah. That would have been a bitch to film, but it's glorious. <laughs> <laughs> it's crazy. It's crazy. But yeah, no, it's some good stuff comes out of dark times. Like even music, a lot of art comes out of dark periods. And I know it's not great for the person going through it, but like, you know, I was just listening there today, like um, the downward spiral by Nine Inch Nails, which I know Trent Reznor was in like yes. the thick of his like heroin addiction and made amazing music. And I feel terrible he went through that. But like, I'm like, this is great music, <laughs> but it's so dark and, you know, it's it's crazy. But yeah, so Revenge comes from like a dark place. And Tony Scott always had an eye on like stuff with an edge. And really, I mean, after really after Days of Thunder, 
most of his movies have a there's no like light fluffy Tony Scott movies after that. You know, it's like <laughs> oh. <laughs> like Unstoppable is not too um you know too crazy on like darkness and violence things like that. But and like Deja Vu's like you know not it's kind of hopeful in a weird way. So but there's like he does always have like a dark edge and violence and things like that. But um yeah it's kind of starts Revenge is a real pivotal turning point for Tony Scott's career. I feel like so that for that reason it's very interesting. <laughs> It is really interesting because um, his probably his the fact that he was going through because he was if he was going through a divorce. Um, it reminds me a lot of the Brood in some ways because he was working something out. Because this movie is very misogynistic, and I know the uh, Brood has been labeled that as well. Though I think it's a little bit more complex than that mm-hmm. because David Cronenberg was really working through some issues that he had with oh. his wife and custody <laughs> and and that ending. Oh my God, so glorious and disgusting. Um, and I think he is as well, because I think he's sort of going, well, why do you, what's the point of falling in love? What's the point in having sex if everything is going to turn to shit and then you're just going to get into this big fight with someone? It's always going to turn into a fight. It's always going to be a struggle. It's all, you're always going to be alienated if you fall in love. And I think both versions of the movie, are, that is at its core. What's the point? Um, and yeah, it's kind of the fact that he somehow got away with it is incredible because he was it felt like he was this one last push to be oh no I'm gonna be the artsy director and it didn't work out it was like uh no you're, you're not you're gonna make days of thunder you're gonna try and recreate your magic with Tom Cruise but with race cars and we're gonna see how that goes but I think this kind of yeah he realized oh I like the darkness but this is my one last push to be more of an art stylist um Maybe because Ridley kept getting away with it, even though he was making insane blockbusters. Um, he somehow managed to get away with being the artsy blockbuster. Um, though Tony, maybe not, but he always seemed to sneak it in occasionally, like the editing for um, Man on Fire. Again, another episode I'm really looking forward to. I'm looking forward to that one as well. I don't know if I've <laughs> – I tried to kind of keep it quiet but i don't think i uh did a good job but i love man on fire <laughs> um maybe my favorite i gotta watch all his movies again but mm. um i i absolutely love man on fire so i'm really looking forward to that one it's gonna be a while but i'm but oh, i'm yeah. very excited about man on fire because um yeah that movie is just uh, fantastic so um, no because i think when i we did the hunger episode i had not seen man on fire yet now i've seen man on fire and now everything's kind of like changed so i'm just like going well okay um <laughs> that movie was amazing <laughs> Yeah, I think Tony Scott gets better as he goes on with like finding yeah. human elements in these yeah. dark stories. Like that's what like revenge is kind of missing the whole heart of like Man of Fire has the heart of, you know, Denzel trying to get Dakota Fanning back and it feels very emotional. Um and you know, there's stuff I'm trying to I had another example, I just totally blinked out on it. But like there's like kind of like a love story thing going in deja vu and like mm. um he gets better, I think, with, like, finding the humanity in people in these dark stories as it goes along. Like, Revenge is, like, just very dark from <laughs> start to finish. Although I do think, I'm curious about your take on this, that it kind of seems like he's trying to show uh, Tibby, Anthony Quinn's character, uh, that he seems very depressed after he sends Madeline Stowe away and almost like he deeply regrets what he's done. Like, he doesn't even seem like he, you know, feels good about it. Like, he almost, like, feels like he would want to die or something. You know, he... he 
Yeah. <laughs> yeah, no, that is an absolute agreement. I think in the director's cut, uh, Tibby is not exactly a sympathetic character because I don't think there's any real sympathetic characters um, yeah. except for the people who save Costner in this uh, movie. But you do get the sense of regret from Tibby of like, I made a huge mistake. I'm too much of an arrogant asshole to go back on this mistake. Mm-hmm. But I've made a mistake and I did, in fact, love her. Um, I think that's the thing he has to live with. Um, I think the director's cut is much more ambiguous on who the good guys and the bad guys are, even though you look at Tibby and go, God, you're an asshole. You are the <laughs> villain. Um, but I think in the theatrical cut, it's much more pointed of, no, Tibby is the bad guy. Mm-hmm. and he is the one that's going to ruin everything. Not You kind of see the movie from a little bit from Tibby's point of view, especially I can't quite remember if it is pronounced in the theatrical when Madeline Stowe and Kevin Costner are sleeping together for the first time with the billowing curtains all around them. In and the coat room, both, that scene? In the coat room, yeah. Oh, yeah. And it's then a, it yeah. Keeps, <laughs> yeah, and then it keeps cutting to Tibby on the dance floor, and it just ends with him kind of looking around going, well, where's my wife? Yes, and- Um Sorry, Tony yeah. Scott said in the commentary, I didn't really pick this up as much the yeah. first time, but like you just said, uh, Tony Scott, his idea was that even amongst all this crazy stuff at this party, Anthony Quinn's like, I, I guess like stripping, I don't know what he's doing, he's like taking his shirt off, he's getting crazy. Uh, he's getting crazy, yeah. All this dancing and partying that he's like the godfather of this area and knows everything that's going on all times. So he can even feel that something is wrong and like, yes. he, he knows something's going on, but he doesn't know what. He's like, that's the implication of that scene, which I thought was pretty interesting, so... <laughs> Yeah, and I don't know how pronounced it is in the... I can't remember exactly off my head at the moment how pronounced it is in the theatrical, but you do get his point of view more in the director's cut, even if he is still a scotty evil man who um, sold his wife into as a sex life, essentially. Um, so, yeah, you do kind of get who's... There is much... I think Tony's trying to do a who's getting revenge on who, um, where there's the theatrical cut is more a traditional here's the bad guy here's your good guy here's the damsel in distress um move um so it's kind of it's amazing how when you just put um things in order scenes in order and edit them in a certain way how it completely can change a movie just a tone and everything yeah it's crazy and it's it's funny like Tony Scott said, it is funny to see a director's cut that is shorter mm. than the theater. Like, how often does that happen? Usually the, the director comes in and throws a bunch of stuff back in. Um, like, how dare you get rid of this scene? Yeah. I worked. <laughs> Tony Scott's like, how dare you add the scene in? Like, he's, it's so funny hearing him complain about extra scenes of dialogue. He's like, oh, we don't need all this, like, extra yes. backstory. Yes. And, and I'm, like, thinking to myself, like, I kind of like the extra backstory. It does, it does slow the pace down. That's why I... I, I'm torn on which one I like better because like I do love how well the director's cut moves and it moves really well but I appreciate the stuff that was added in most of it not all of it but mm. especially the Madeline Stowe stuff because yeah that's it makes it doesn't make it any easier because what happens to her is still horrible but I mean at least I feel like we spend more time with her character and I, mean, I feel like she's a sympathetic one even though I think this line's only in the theatrical where she tells Kevin Costner that um, she wanted to be with Anthony, Tibby, Anthony Quinn. Like he said, all her sisters uh, found him attractive and like they loved, they all were like, oh, I want to, I want to be with him. And she's like the one that got to be with him. So it makes it more of like her choice originally that she even chose to be with him. Cause you would almost think like, was she forced into this marriage? But um, no, she chose to, she wanted to be with him. She says that herself. And, uh, mm-hmm. but then you have the whole thing about her wanting to have a kid and he doesn't want her to have a kid. And, so now she kind of got herself into it and feels trapped and wants to get out, which 
normally and you should be like well i don't want to be with you i'm gonna get a divorce she obviously can't do that with him because he's this powerful mexican Mm. good crime kingpin and she can't just leave or get a divorce so she is truly stuck and like kevin costner comes along and he's like her way out and um i was thinking like man they should have just like taken off across the border uh immediately because and not like and not like messed around with um you know kind of trying to get behind his back i think he even calls his friend at one point um i was just about to mention this yeah his friend's like (laughs) he's like get in your car point it toward the border and drive back to the states because you got it you can't fuck around with this guy's wife you're gonna get he's Mm -hmm. like up here they send you to therapy up down there they'll shoot you or something yes (laughs) like uh and so it's it's so funny that they don't just take off like they're really playing this dangerous game of like I think trying to get away with it behind his back and like that's clearly it does not work out uh and um yeah no it does not and um it's funny like I I definitely don't feel bad for Anthony Quinn because he's like a monster in this movie but you understand why he's angry and why he feels like he's been wronged because even though um I mean it's not right I mean technically he feels betrayed because this is his wife and it was his friends and having this affair behind his back and there's a scene later where like everything's already gone down and like one of his henchmen's talking to him and Anthony Quinn's like laying in the bed he looks like just like a sad old man who's like laying there and he looks like his look on his face is like I've really really made a horrible mistake I've really messed things up and like I don't feel sympathy for necessarily but I understand what's going on with his character if that makes sense where I'm like yeah you, I understand why you feel bad, but I don't feel bad for you, Anthony Quinn. <laughs> no, that's exactly it, because everything's a contract to him. And you get, even yes. in the uh, director's cut, you get the sense of, no, you did this contract with me, so therefore you will do this thing. Um, and he treats Madeline Stowe the exact same way. So when she breaks it, yes, he's going to do this, because he's probably told her, look, if you cheat on me, if you decide to leave me, this is what will happen. So yeah, they should have just gone straight to the border and then just gone out of there. Right. um but they don't and bad things happen um but you so you understand where he's coming from even if i don't feel you're right i don't feel sympathy for him because he's horrible he's just the worst so i don't feel sorry in every respect and i don't feel bad that his life is now ruined because he made he made certain choices even though he because he of hubris or whatever but it's yeah it's this really it's an odd movie and I struggle with which ones I like because I love the weirdness of Costner's strange odyssey through Mexico. There are hotels, the lady with the cat, um, Mia, M- Miguel Ferreira and John Magazzo, butchered that, um, coming up. And it's just this kind of the Texan, which I still do not know why he's in that movie, but he is. Um, <laughs> and it's just this kind of great thing. But again, I want the character development at the beginning but I don't want that revenge portion to be only 30 minutes of the movie. I want to be that stretched out like it is in the director's cut. So if I could kind of staple the two movies together, I think I'd really like this movie. But again, I love the fact that he made a grimy little exploitation movie um, with one of the biggest rising stars in Hollywood at the time and kind of almost got away with it. Um <laughs> It's kind of a magical thing when I was watching it and I'm like going, holy shit, this is, this is an exploitation movie. This isn't like, you know, a multi, this is a multi million dollar blockbuster that he made and he turned it into an exploitation movie. Um, and that's something you could probably show in a grindhouse in 19 in the 1970s. And I kind of love it for that. Yeah. It definitely has a, uh, a bleak, 70s ending i think i'm quoting uh yes yeah it's uh, like you that is not like 
that's the kind of movie that nowadays there comes out. They have the I, I don't know if you guys if you've heard about this in Australia. We have a thing called Cinema Score over here. It's very oh, yes, stupid. I know of yeah, yes. <laughs> I think it's a stupid idea because they poll people the minute they leave a movie and the things are very fresh and no one has time to sit with it. And movies that have like that are confusing or very dark tend to score very poorly. This is like an F cinema score of movie because you leave the theater on that note and you're just like wait what like nothing good happened you know it's like it ends so sad and so bleak you'd be like i people most people like, i hated that because the last thing you remember is that you know you walk out that ending and you're just like shit you know so yeah you don't get to no, sit the first, with it yes yeah. no the, yeah exactly you don't get to sit with it when you're being told because i know the first time i heard of the cinema school thing it was for hereditary which got oh, a yeah. d and Very i was just low, like yeah <laughs> how did that movie get a D, I mean, I, yes, I get people watching that thinking it's going to be the scariest movie of all time, which, to be fair, it's actually pretty that. But then to get pretty what scary. the rest of that movie is, yeah. <laughs> I mean, I still check the corners for Tony Collette if she's oh, hanging out in the in uh, the ceiling. I... Um, <laughs> but I was just like, you don't ask people straight away how they like Hereditary because there's only going to be a very small percentage who went, yeah, no, I know exactly what that movie was. I loved it. I recognize it. Yeah. But this was a movie that, other people went to and you do not ask they would go that was weird tony collected a weird thing (laughs) i'm freaked out and confused (laughs) and i don't know what i just watched you need people to kind of give breathing room to a movie especially like someone like revenge and like hereditary so i was just like why would they score ask people what they thought of hereditary straight after they watched it because even the first time i watched hereditary i went not sure how I feel about that. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's interesting. I mean, like, also, I'd feel weird if someone asked me if I walk out of Revenge, like, do you, did you like that? And if I was like, I loved it, I'd be like, I feel like a creep because I'd be like, yes! I love the movie where the, the poor innocent woman was drugged up and died at the end and nothing good happened, you know. But <laughs> it's, it's just a weird thing. Like, I love that. And I, I like Revenge a lot. I don't think I love Revenge, but I do like Revenge. But it's not a easy watch or a fun watch necessarily. But um. Oh, I didn't even finish my quote. So the quote, I feel like for the revenge, I think I'm quoting Patrick Brom- Bromley here about 70s yeah. movies when they have dark endings. It's like mm. if someone asks him, like, I think he teaches. So if a student's like, why did they end it like that? It's like, because it's the 70s. It's the 70s. Fuck you. That's why. <laughs> you know, It's like it's it's post-Vietnam. It's like it's just like, fuck you. That's why we Watergate, ended it that way. Vietnam, Pentagon yeah. Papers, everything's right. just. Yes. Yeah. yeah. So this definitely feels like it would fit in like uh in a in a 70s thing where they just ended on this very downbeat note and you're just kind of left like well that was uh that was sad and like I, so I, I do like revenge this time i was noticing too that i do love the way that tony scott shoots it it's a beautiful movie i think oh, it's kind it's of lost so in good looking the yeah. ugliness of the move like the story itself hmm. it's such an ugly brutal story but the way he shoots mexico is beautiful i feel like and it's funny because i know he fell in love with uh Mexico at this time too, because um he shot other things there. I think he moved to Mexico and lived or had a house in Mexico after this. Like so he really fell in love with the country. And he's talking in the commentary a lot about like that they really went out of their way to find kind of like uh out of the uh, locations people hadn't seen before and like really try to find cool looking locations that were beautiful to film and like yeah, it's a beautiful looking movie. Like it it's gorgeous. And um I was really appreciating this time, like just some of the shots where um, he, he, I feel like he loves Mexico as much as he loves Madeline Stowe and he shoots them both like, like he loves them, the landscapes and her, it's like, he's in love with them clearly. Oh no. Cause every time I was watching those kind of scenes when he's just really kind of showing Mexico at its best, I could not help think, cause he always 
photographs Mexico so brilliantly because again going back to Man on Fire sorry I'm not going to do that there's episode, a lot of connective tissue between this and there Man is a lot fire of on. connective tissue in Man on Fire but the way he shoots Mexico City is gorgeous and considering what that movie is about and considering that they everyone had to have bodyguards for everyone on oh, that yeah. movie like multiple because they already knew that um, one for kidnapping which this is what Man on Fire is about and also because the way they were using all the big black cars and everything like that, everyone sort of set them as a target. Like that's how you make yourself a target is by having all that entourage stuff, which is you have to, cause that's what the movie's about. Yeah. So it was um fascinating, but just, yeah, you're right. He loves Mexico and the way he shoots Mexico is just with this beautiful, amazing, almost tenderness that he's just intoxicated by. And to have Madeline Stowe dancing around in a short dress <laughs> it's kind of the happiest the movie gets because Tony Scott is the happiest. I think because he's photographing Madeline Stowe. Um, he's got this gorgeous Mexican scenery. He's happy. He's where he is. Probably in that moment, he was probably insanely happy. Um, but yeah, and you're like, oh, this is yeah, this is great. I love this. And then, but he loves going through the winding streets of these small Mexican villages and or what looks like a small Mexican village. And no, you can tell. He's completely at home here, which I love because um, he makes Mexico just – I, I want to go to that place where he's, he's shooting, even though what is happening in that movie is incredibly depressing. <laughs> That's true. He makes it look so beautiful. You're like, I want to go there, but oh, I don't want to – I don't want to cross Anthony Quinn's character at any point. <laughs> um, if I could just go to the good places where there's not the drama <laughs> and I can just sit there and drink tequila and eat food and have a good time, perfect. <laughs> We, I did take a family trip. To, it's like a sidebar, but we're talking about Mexico. We did take a family trip one time when I was probably, um, oh, you know what's funny? I, I literally remember watching Smart House in the resort in Mexico. Uh, we went probably 99, 2000, so that's probably 12 or 13. Oh, and I, wow. It might have been the like premiere, you know, the big Disney premiere of the new yes. original movie. And I can distinctly remember watching Smart House in Mexico. <laughs> so it's funny, it's all tying together. And um, we were in like, they always say about Mexico, and I, I feel bad, but I know there are there's dangerous parts to every city, every country, every whatever. But mm. um, if you're in the resort, you're pretty much good. Like, no one really messes with those. Um, and nothing we, – we had a bad time, but nothing to do with any kind of crime or anything like that. It was mm. just, like, um, everyone got sick. Because, you know, there's, like, thing about, like, uh, drinking, like, the water down there. You got to drink bottled water. <laughs> and they call it Montezuma's Revenge or something. Like, you got to oh. – um, <laughs> My whole family was sick. Um, there was like really bad weather. At one point, I remember I woke up one morning and thought we were being attacked because a bolt of lightning had struck a like palm tree outside or a coconut tree outside a window and it exploded. Oh and my god! It like a bomb had gone off and it was like, oh my god, Mexico's under attack from someone. <laughs> I was like, no, no, just a lightning bolt struck a tree. Um, I had, I'm a picky eater. I had, it was like all these little things went wrong with like we planned some trips or day trips and they didn't mm. go quite well. And um, it was just like kind of a mess of a vacation, but um, yeah, I mean, there are, be we saw some beautiful scenery down there, but Tony Scott even makes it look way more beautiful. And some of the, we were in Port, uh, I can't, Puerto Vallarta, which I know part mm. of it was shot in Puerto Vallarta. Um, but I was like, this looks way more beautiful than I remember it being, <laughs> but maybe I wasn't paying <laughs> as much attention, but um, yeah, I don't know. It's uh it's a weird trip, but no, it's just funny because I'm like looking at it going like, I've been in Mexico. I don't remember it looking this beautiful, but like the way Tony Scott shoots it and the locations he found just like really add something to this movie that I was really appreciating this time rewatching it. 
No, because I think Tony Scott loves the country and he probably went a little bit, as you said, he wanted to find locations that people hadn't seen. And I think Mexico has this reputation of the most amazing resort place you can find and the most dangerous city, which I don't, again, it depends on the part of the city. Where you're at. I know they hold. Where you're at. There's issues with cartels, obviously. That's a real thing, but it depends on. Oh, yeah. Where I think I've heard something like the cartels like don't mess with uh, like resorts or things like that. They have like an unspoken no, thing. No, 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 um, that, that would bring that would bring a whole bunch of heat that they don't want on themselves. That oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Just they, they're smart badly. enough to, uh, to not mess with yeah. that. So, you know, because um, I had, yeah, because I had a friend who traveled around Central America. She was in backpacking around uh, Mexico City and did get held up. But what they found out later was a fake gun. So, oh, yeah, yeah, um, like... yeah. Remember... so it was. Yeah. The most terrifying thing of her life, and she goes, yeah, and then I found out it was fake. <laughs> yeah. I do remember being super psyched as a little kid, because I took, like, a dollar or two into, like, a convenience store that was in our resort and got so much stuff for a dollar, like, because everything was so cheap, like, the conversion rate and the dollar to the peso, and I came out with, like, 10 candy bars for, like, a dollar or two or something, all this and candy like, and snacks. I was like, I, yes! I'm a rich man down here. <laughs> it's like... I'm living large. Like I was like, my dollar's never gone so far. Um, yes. That was pretty fun. But, um, but yeah, I mean, there's so much to, there is so much to like about this movie and so much to kind of uh, question, question, yeah. scrutinize. Uh, um, and that's the funny thing. Like when I first watched this, I remember thinking this is good, but I was like, I do kind of feel bad because there does feel like this, this element of uh, this misogynistic thing. And I can't even, really put into words super well why it feels that way to me but it i mean you're here too i think it does it's just because i guess what happens to madeline stowe is so terrible and she gets it worse than anybody in the whole movie and, and this way yeah. that she's photographed which is lovingly in one respect but really creepy in another because <laughs> He's not necessarily in love with her. He's in lust with her, which is not the first time this has happened with any director. I mean, you watch Grace Kelly in a Hitchcock movie or Tippi Hendren. Um, you watch, I can't think of any examples right now, but you know that feeling when a director has just gone, you're hot, and it's that really, um, any Ver Paul Verhoeven movie, um, oh. if, especially if you watch uh, Showgirls. That has got the skeeziest <laughs> male gaze um, going on, and he's kind of taking it to the nth degree. Um, but there's a way that sometimes certain women are shot in a movie where you're just like going, oh, you have the hots for her. And it's sometimes it's like, oh, we, you know, when um, even though I know it wasn't an easy shoot, but whenever Quentin Tarantino shooting uh, Uma Thurman, it's, oh, you're a little bit in love with her. This isn't lust. You are. Oh, yeah. I mean, that was confirmed. Bit... He was like in love with her. You know, yeah, so. <laughs> that was confirmed. And you watch him like, oh, no, you are in love with her. This isn't the end you watch. Uh, Scott shooting Madeline Stowe, and I'm like, oh, you want to fuck her? That's, mm, <laughs> could be good. Because um, apparently I read somewhere that, because um, usually sex scenes, and they should be choreographed, so everyone knows exactly where the hand's going to go, where everything's going to go, and everyone's kind of safe on on set, like it's now becoming a thing you need to have, right. like you need a yeah. sex choreographer. None of these sex scenes apparently were choreographed. <laughs> yeah, Scott I'm glad you brought that up. Yeah. <laughs> go in it, and it feels like that. Like there's both of them seem to be into it, which is great. <laughs> and so there's no like, oh, oh no. Um, but you're watching two people kind of getting into each other on screen. <laughs> that's yeah, and I mean that's one of my favorite quotes actually of all the trivia I was reading that uh 
around the time they were, I guess they were putting out the Blu-ray. I guess they interviewed Costner or something. And he watched the scene. Oh, back we went at it, didn't we? <laughs> yeah, that's right. <laughs> Where Costner turns to Tony Scott and apparently said, like, we really got into it, huh? Like, he had forgotten, like, yeah, I guess we really got into it. Because they don't choreograph, which, yeah, is a big thing because you don't want to cross any lines for anyone. And you want to know, yeah. they got to know where the camera and the lights and all that stuff's going to go and things like that. So, um, but Tony Scott was like, he set up, like, I guess, multiple cameras. And was just like, just go for it and we'll just get it. And, uh, I mean, it does have that feel of very, like, authentic two people just who have to have each other. And they've been, like, there's been a long buildup to them, like, getting to each other, you know, getting yes. to this point of having sex. I've been like, looking at each other longingly a lot. So so many longing looks, so many lustful looks. Uh, and then they finally get in that coat room. All players like, we got to do it in this coat room right, right now. Yeah, right now. <laughs> uh, I, I think it's only in the director's cut where Costner, like, grabs a bunch of the coats and throws them on the ground. He's like, yes. there, I made us a bed. Let's go, you know. Um, it's well, just yeah, funny she to me. slaps him, and then he gets so I thought it was out of anger. Like she slaps him after they've had sex, <laughs> just like how dare you! Yeah. And then he grabs all the coats, throws them on the ground, goes, "Fine, I made a bed." And then they don't have sex on the coats; they have sex on the bed, which <laughs> is just this kind of like, "Did you just do it?" I'm angry, but I'm in love. I'm in love with you. Just I don't know. It's there, um, yeah, it's strange. It's just a, yeah, it's, it's strange. Like a just did. He was just like, "I'm gonna throw these coats." Uh, <laughs> I yes. mean, it's definitely. I think it's the the sexiest Tony Scott movie, or the most sexual. For oh, sure. absolutely, yeah. <laughs> um, True Romance is way more about like the romance, even though there's like a sex a sex scene and uh, a couple sex scenes, I believe. But uh, this one feels yeah, more. Yeah. Yes, I was gonna say True Romance is a, about a boy who likes to hit on women by asking if they want to go see a Sunny Chiba movie. So, um, <laughs> this is a very sweet boy. <laughs> Such a Tarantino idea, like the. <laughs> The uh, Christian Slater character is never talking, uh, including Quentin Tarantino, has not talked to a girl up to this point, so he has no idea what to do with one. Right. I love, I love how clearly that's like comes through that Tarantino, when he wrote True Romance, had like never had a girlfriend. Like, I got, I figured that one out, buddy. Like, like, yes, it's a real fantasy about you just, um, you know, um, just going up to a girl and be like, do you want to go see a Sony, Sony Chiba marathon? And she's like, yeah, we do find out later she was paid, but still, um, the fact that she falls in love with him and all that, but such a, I can't wait to talk about true romance. There's so much to say about true romance, but, um, I oh, cannot wait I, for that. There's a lot that cannot wait for that episode. Cause oh. I'm going to be just talking at the, at the, um, when I'm listening to it, just like, <laughs> Uh, I'm glad you brought up Tarantino because there's a quote on the cover of the Blu-ray from Tarantino for Revenge mm. that says, uh, um, oh, now I'm going to blink on it. Like, he's like, this is Tony Scott's masterpiece, I think is what, something like that, where he's like, this is Tony Scott's best movie or something. Or, yes. Um, and something else he would say. <laughs> of course. very Tarantino. When you watch it, like, oh, yeah, of course this would be his favorite yeah. Tony Scott movie. Um, and I do love, I do love, though, that when he found out, like, he was into true romance. He was like, yeah, the guy who directed revenge is going to direct my movie. Not the guy who directed Top Gun or anything like that. Like the guy who did revenge is going to do, do my movie. Um, so yeah, this is funny that, yeah, he, I know he's talked this one up for, but, um, yeah, it's, uh, I don't know. Revenge is a interesting movie. I feel like I don't, we've talked about a lot of things that I want to talk about with it. Um, there's a lot to unpack with revenge. I feel like just so much to say about it. There is because it's hunger is very kind of clean and very, Oh yes. It's this, it's this, it's this, it's, it's Bowie. It's Susan Sarandon. There are some points, but it's a very clean movie. Revenge is messy. Um, yes, very messy. and I don't necessarily know if that was his intention, but I think it was just because how it was made and what intentions different people had with this movie. And, um, if this was made a few years later and still had Costner, he would have had much more of a say about where he wanted his character to go and what the movie was going to look like. 
Oh. So it's, um, I mean, this is, I mean, he had, he's probably directing Dances with Wolves, but it's not going to win an Oscar yet, so he doesn't have the kind of the clout yet. But it's um, it's a very messy movie and there's a lot to unpack and you do have to go into it and go, okay, right, there's going to be an element of misogyny. It's going to be very 70s with a very 90s, glossy, beautiful, I mean, as I said, it is a beautiful looking movie um, and everyone's gorgeous in it. Um but you do come away feeling a little bit icky, um, a little bit kind of sad. Um, but it's a movie I probably would watch again because I think it's a fascinating movie. Um, it's so out of place, out of time, out of like today when you really do have to reckon with these kind of sexual kind of rules um, and um, way this was probably shot, the way Madeline Stowe is treated, you really do have to kind of contend with that. But at the same time, it does make it slightly more interesting um, I don't know why um, exactly, but just because, yeah, it's just a, it's a fascinating, fascinating, messy movie that I think there's a lot to unpack, and I think we could probably spend another two hours unpacking certain <laughs> things that we haven't even touched on. And the director's cut is only what ninety minutes. <laughs> it's I think it's an hour forty, so it's like a hundred minutes. Hour forty, yeah. yeah it's it's not two hours five minutes for the director's cut, I think, <laughs> or the theatrical cut. I'm sorry, yeah. Yeah, and because of those two movies, um, you do have to contend with a lot, and they're not long movies. I mean, we've just talked about 2001, but you can talk about the same length of Revenge than you can as well about 2001 in completely different ways. But it's a messy, complicated thing of a movie that there's a lot to unpack because of the way it was made, because of what Scott wanted to do with it and what you get on screen. But I think it's really watchable, like... um, I had no problems watching it. I think all the performances are good. I think it's beautiful to look at. I think you are interested and you pick up little different things as you go along. But at the same time, I'm just like, mm, no, okay, no, I need the shower. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I mean, you don't leave it feeling great. Like we talked about, no. you don't feel super jazzed after <laughs> after it. But um, I agree. I think all the performances are good. Um, uh, although I, like, yeah, I don't know. Like Kevin Costner, like you said, it's almost like he doesn't feel like he fits in this Tony Scott movie. But mm. Um, I do think he pulls it off. It's just like I, I could imagine somebody doing it with a little more uh, passion, maybe, or more like someone who would get angrier for the revenge. Like Costner never seems like he really blows up. You know what I mean? Like he never no. quite, which is never mm. what I think of him as an actor. He's not a guy who like has these giant moments where he blows up, except like in Draft Day when he calls someone a pancake eating motherfucker. But uh, <laughs> it's one of my favorite. A great insult, ever. by the way. Uh, great insult. Um, uh, I, so, I mean, he's not a guy that I think of as like a big actor. He's but he's like dependable. So he's always kind of like that's why I always think of him as like a steady presence because he's not he's like calming to me. Like he's never um, I always think of him as like I think he's such a good uh, uh, Jonathan Kent in the Superman movie because he's got yeah. like this very calm air to him. And even when he's about to die in that movie and he puts his hand out, like, don't save me. He's calm. Yes. He's just a very. So for him to be in a movie called Revenge, and he he has moments too, but it's like he's he's good. I mean, he's good, but I just think I, I can definitely imagine it with another actor and how different a movie it would be. It would be very interesting. But I think Madeline Stowe's really good for what she's given to do. You know, oh, um, yeah. uh, Anthony Quinn I think is actually very interesting as this mm. guy because he brings layers to it. Um, and 
I was going to say one thing. Uh, Kevin Costner actually almost directed this movie, but the producer talked him out of it. He thought it was like his first directed movie. Um, producer's like, maybe don't do this one. <laughs> like first. Um, he's like, okay. Do Dances with Wolves. Yeah. Um, oh, and, and Tony Scott mentions on the commentary that like, yeah, Costner was talking about Dance with Wolves. And he's like, oh, yeah, it's pretty good. And then kind of laughs about like how, how big it was. You know, he's like, that should be a good movie. And he's like, didn't know how good it would be. So... <laughs> I have not seen that since, I, I, for some reason, I think I was taken to see that at the movies. I don't know. And that movie's like four hours long. So I don't cool. quite I've know. Actually, I've never seen it. It's a funny thing. I just. I know I, I've seen it. I thing. just have very little memory. So it'd be, I need to go back and see it. Because I know Daniel likes it. He's a I fan. Think. Maybe. I think. Yeah. Maybe. <laughs> <laughs> He'll let us know after this episode. He will. <laughs> uh, but uh, it's funny. I mean, I know. It won a bunch of awards and famously won Best Picture over Goodfellas, which, uh, and I haven't seen Dance with Wolves, but it's hard for you to imagine that it's a better movie than Goodfellas. But, you know, fair enough. It's probably still a good movie. But Maybe, uh, I'm, mis- yeah, maybe I'm missing a scene where someone cuts up um, garlic with a razor blade. <laughs> it's an unfair level because Goodfellas is like one of my favorite movies of all time. And I think it's like one of the most watchable, Oh, like, you know, it comes on yeah. TV. I'm going to watch at least all, most of it, if not all of it. Um so I'll always watch until they get to Kath, uh, Catherine Scorsese and the painting. That's usually the oh scene I'll usually watch up to. Well, and usually God. I'll watch the rest of it, but that's the scene I have to watch. <laughs> it's like one one looks this way, one looks that way. One looks See? That way. <laughs> <laughs> my one of my favorite parts of the whole movie. Um so we sit all down and find a nice girl. I'm just like, that is that's probably what Catherine was. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um, I am just looking through any of my like last minute notes here. Um, I feel like I had a couple more things to say, but um, no, I do like revenge. I don't know where it will fall in my, you know, my Tony Scott filmography ranking, but it's an interesting movie. I think it's really important to his filmography. Cause I feel like a lot of stuff comes from this movie afterwards that he does um, that dark, that really dark edge. I feel like mm. he kind of like softens a little bit, but, um, but yeah, this is, it's a and it's it's like I said it's a failure financially but like um I do think it's important to like his career going forward so that for that reason it's it's pretty interesting no I I think it is I think he learned that he can keep the darkness but he has to keep it under wraps a little bit like he has to kind of have it with something else um he can't yeah. just go straight darkness even though I think that's <laughs> kind of the movies I think he if he had his own way would have maybe gravitated toward a little bit more um, but no, I'm going to see, be really interested to see what your ranking is, um, especially as you go through all his movies and see everything in that completely different context. It's going to be fascinating. Yeah, I'll, I'll be interested to see how it turns out because I don't really know right now. So, um, and I do, like I like I said, like I think he starts getting better at like adding in more elements of humanity. <laughs> um, yes. Even in the dark he stuff. Very much and does. Yes. It might have something to do with getting older and softening and age, you mm. know, like, because um, like I said, when he makes revenge, it's a, he even admits he's like in a kind of a dark place emotionally with his personal life and uh so i think things ease up a little bit and uh he gets a little bit lighter as it goes along i think the best example like i said is that true romance ending that he doesn't want to do the super dark ending he wants to um do the the lighter ending which i think is like another kind of turning point where you know he's like it's like maybe it doesn't be all dark all the time you know <laughs> Yeah, we can let him live and let him go into the um into the sunset with his girlfriend that he now knows how to talk to. So you know, right. it's all good. <laughs> so yeah, no, no. Um, I can't think of anything else to say about revenge. Um, thank you for doing this for me. I'm glad I got your opinion and your take on it. Like I said, I'm glad uh we had a female perspective on this movie because I feel like it needs one. <laughs> 
yes. Um, and yes, it is misogynist. That is my final take on it. But it is still a very good movie. As someone who also likes all the James Bond movies, um, which can also be very misogynistic, um, yeah, you just have to take it with a grain of salt and realize what the movie is trying to do. But yeah, that, that, that's definitely there. <laughs> right, yeah. <laughs> and if we had more movies directed by women, we'd see more of the female gaze, but we don't exactly have as many examples of that. I feel like someone just mentioned in... It's a great point. I mean, I love Point Break, and that's directed by a woman. And I feel like there is a female gaze there on Patrick Swayze and Keanu Reeves. And there's like a sensitivity to it that you wouldn't get if a man had directed it. Like so. Oh, no, no, no. Yeah, I, yeah. <laughs> I've always sort of, I've always wondered, wondered if there is the homosexual um, subtext in that movie, or if it's just the female gaze. And then a lot of guys looked at it and went, "Oh no, this is what that is." And it's like, no, no, no. It's just Catherine Bigelow perving at Keanu Reeves and. Uh, Patrick Swayze, um, which completely yeah. understandable because have you seen those two men? Um, so yeah, I I need to watch Point Break again to see to see if it's. I think it's probably a mixture of both, but I think because it is a sensitivity, and I think there is that female gaze where you're just lingering on them, like like it's just like yes, these are the two most beautiful men that have ever existed. I'm putting to film, and I am going for it. That. <laughs> Yeah, yeah no, it's, I think yeah. I think we need more of that to be honest. I think there is that uneven kind of thing, and I th- it's kind of cool that more women are making more breadth of movies that we can get the female gaze can be just as prevalent as the male gaze, and then we can kind of see the the differences and kind of there's more understanding of what the male gaze actually is. Right, I and mean, it's just such a male-dominated industry for. Oh uh, yeah. I mean, it still is. I was going to say for so long, but it still is that way. But yeah. we're getting better. Uh, so that, that's good. We just need more perspectives and different viewpoints in movies besides, uh, you know, white guys. That's basically. Exactly. Exactly. <laughs> that's me as a white guy saying that. So I just I, I would love to see other perspectives, you know, and different stories being told mm-hmm. because we've got you've already got so many movies from, you know, just this kind of same group of guys. Like it's been like a boys club for so long. And um mostly just white males directing <laughs> things. So, um, and I love yeah. a lot of those white male movies and I don't want them to go away. I just want more movies. I oh, want... yeah. That's yeah. always been my point. It's like, yeah. no, I don't think they should stop making movies. I just think we need, it's it's more, I always describe it as like, I don't want you to take seats away from the table. I want you to add more seats to the table. Exactly. Makes... And I think people sort of say, oh, we need more voices. You want to take away? No, 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 no. I love my old white men movies. I would like, I love, I mean, I'm the biggest Scorsese fan. Well, not the biggest. I know about six other people who Michelle Egan, for instance, who, well, that is her dad. Um, <laughs> but for instance, but um, I love all those filmmakers because they're incredibly talented. I just also want more of the female gaze. I want to, I want movies to pervert men as much as the perfect <laughs> woman. That's all I'm saying. That's awesome. um, you ladies deserve it. <laughs> exactly. That's all we want. I want more pervy men movies, not as well as the pervy women movies. <laughs> and, you know, yeah, like I said, more people come into the table. I want the stories, people with uh, people of color and more women. Yes. Um, just all kinds of stories. It's just, you know, we've got so many uh, stories, for, I mean, we, 100 years of movies at this point. So uh, the more the merrier, I say. I just want to see more perspective. <laughs> so. I just want, yeah, more movies with more perspective. I mean, I love the opening scene to Widows, which is a movie I like a lot more than other anyone else, directed by Steve McQueen. And it's just got this amazing kiss between uh, Viola Davis and Liam Neeson, which is just a lot of tongue. Um, <laughs> and we need more of that. <laughs> I've never seen Widows, so. It's um, actually, it's not 
has it's actually his most watchable movie because you don't feel like the end of Revenge where you need a shower, but it's just, it's because it's a it's a real pure soap opery crime movie. But at the beginning, it is actually very sexy, and it's between Liam Neeson and not looking sexy at all, and Viola Davis just in her natural, beautiful, perfect state, and you're just like going, <laughs> "That's a lot of tongue." <laughs> I was not expecting that. <laughs> Interesting. Okay. Yes. Um, I feel like seeing Liam Neeson tongue kiss someone is not something I want to see. Also a non-sexual being for me. <laughs> like it's... Again, it's he's not a non-sexual being, but it only happens briefly. And then you're just like going, huh. Because it's age appropriate uh, old tongue. And you're just like going, okay, I can kind of dig with this. I'm just not expecting it. And but glad you put it in there. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, there's some actors that you see and you're like, it's like that's a sexual person but then like Liam Neeson is like I'm like that guy doesn't have sex what are we doing <laughs> he's too busy trying to get his daughter back he's not there's no exactly. time for sex with him um, no time for sex. <laughs> he's got a specific set of skills and sex is not one of them <laughs> like I will say it might be because of like mostly basic instinct but Michael Douglas is a guy I had the complete opposite view of like Kevin Costner he seemed like a very sexual person because he's always in these very sexual movies yes and, and he's always like, an asshole which kind of suits it <laughs> Like, yeah, an aggressively sexual person, you know, like, um, because he's in things like Disclosure and Basic Instinct and Fatal Attraction. And, yeah, he just had this, like, energy, like, this guy is just always trying to have sex with someone. (laughs) It's interesting. So, yes, me and Carmelia just brought up um, Basic Instinct, like, on the last episode, talking about Verhoeven, too, um, who you mentioned, very sexual man, Verhoeven. He gets sexuality into everything. And I'm actually really excited to see his, like, sexy nun movie coming yes. out like this year. <laughs> Vendetta, I believe it's called. I'm like, oh man, we need more Verhoeven crazy. I need, and I, I'm, <laughs> I've heard mixed reviews for Vendetta, but I want this sex nun movie in my life. I, I don't, it sounds, yeah. I've heard it compared to Showgirls but with nuns. I'm like, going, well, you're just wow. upselling it for me, really. <laughs> it's bananas. I had not heard that like description of it, but wow, that sounds wild. We we need that movie in the world. It's just so, movies are not very sexual anymore. No, I do miss the sexual movie. And I think Revenge is a really good example of it, even though I wish it wasn't so sad. But I think... It's true. Yeah, it's a bummer. Yeah, as long as, yeah, you, you, you choreograph it, you know where everything's happening. But I think it's <laughs> like violence. There's a special kind of thing to the sexual movie. And because you'll just be like going, what the? Oh, shit. Okay. Um, and... <laughs> It always surprises. I don't know why I'm so surprised every time a sex scene comes up in a movie, but I'm always like, oh, okay, shit, sex scene, right, okay, go. <laughs> uh, it's uh, probably just though... goes back to when I'm a kid and I had the the <laughs> awkward, either the fear of being caught watching a sex scene or the awkward feeling of watching a sex scene with my family in a movie, and I'm like, oh, no, 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 don't do this. I don't want to see this with my family. <laughs> oh, no, see, I have the opposite one is that my parents did not care. Like, they, I remember I had this vivid memory when I was 12, and they were watching Basic Instinct. It was finally on, I think Dad brought home the disc because it was, like, the big movie of the year. I was in the kitchen skulking around, seeing if I could just watch it without my parents knowing. But they knew. So they said, Lindsay, come sit down and watch this movie. I went, oh, God. shit, fuck. <laughs> okay, sat down. First scene, I am out. Like, the first scene of Basic Instinct is oh, first. Yeah. And I'm 12, sitting with my parents, watching this movie, going, oh, no. <laughs> no. Um, which they probably knew and probably thought, right, we'll just get her to watch it with us. We'll get embarrassed and she'll leave. And I did. <laughs> And my dad was the kind of person who would bring home Boogie Nights for Christmas Day viewing, um, which was my first uh, very uncomfortable viewing of that movie. <laughs> oh, <laughs> God, dad, yeah. You knew he had a crush on Mark Wahlberg. I'm like, no, this is, I can't do this. Oh, wow. No, I, well, yeah. See, I grew up in America where you can kill 100 people on screen and no one cares. But if someone 
shows a boob, everyone freaks out. <laughs> like, Here's the thing. New Zealand was the opposite. Sex was fine. No one cared about that. But if you had something too violent, it was just not on. <laughs> that's what I feel like most of the rest of the world was like. It's like most mm. of the other countries are cool with sexuality because that's like a natural thing. But like violence is you know, usually shunned because it's not natural to go out and murder 100 people. But it's like in America, it's a complete opposite. Like I feel like you can get away with so much violence in a movie. Um but sexuality, it's like, I mean, like RoboCop, I mean, almost did get an X rating just for violence, but like that movie's super violent. But then there's a movie called The Cooler with William H. Macy. And I remember this story from like a documentary about movie ratings mm-hmm. and they show like a brief second of William H. Macy. And I can't remember the actress. They're in bed together and um, they show like a brief glimpse of like her pubic hair. Oh, gasp. And it almost got them an X rating. They had to cut this like one snippet of just god forbid you saw like a woman's private area not even like in a sexual maintenance she was laying in the bed and i'm just like that's so insane that we (laughs) are so so anti-sex in this country but so like pro-violence i'm sure it all goes back to being established by religions and things like that puritans yeah we were yeah a bunch of pilgrims but i always joke that i was raised by like Sex was not discussed in my house. If there was a sex scene, everybody was out. It was like I lived in. I was raised by like sexless pilgrims uh, who like, <laughs> like it was not discussed. It was not talked about. Um, I still get awkward watching Basic Instinct by myself. I'm like, oh no, oh my, like I'm just like clutching my pearls over here. Um, no, it's it was, weird because yeah, because yeah, I've got all my friends' stories. Like my partner always has a famous story. Is that he sneaked? He somehow rented Robocop when he wasn't allowed to. He was probably about eleven maybe younger. Um, he brought it home, was watching it, and his mum walked in as soon as that, oh, that, what is the little tur- uh, two-legged thing called? Oh, uh, Ed 209? Yes, he's about, <laughs> he's, he's shooting the, the guy in the conference room. <laughs> yes. And that's when his mother walked in, flipped oh, out, God, and made him take the take back. Because it was like, that is, because that scene is violent as all hell. And so, yeah, that's the stories I sort of grew up with. But it's not like sex is like, oh, no, it's completely disgusting. It's like we're not, have our own kind of issues about it. But, yeah, it was just because um, I remember uh, uh, reading an interview with Paul Thomas Anderson about the making of Boogie Nights, and he said you can do anything you want, but it has to be an R rating, which is why that movie is not as explicit as I think he would have made it if he kind of was doing it without that one restriction. But he gets it, you can do anything else, like whatever zoom ca- weird camera move, whatever little vignette you want to do, it's fine. Just it has to be an R rating. Um, and I read another story about how critics were really upset with Casino Royale because James Bond goes down on a, on, on, on a woman. <laughs> like, that is wow. not allowed. It's like, yeah. <laughs> what, so you can have blowjobs, but you can't have that? What? <laughs> yeah, I mean, there's <laughs> even, that, that comes up in that documentary. I think it's called This Movie Is Not Yet Rated, where yeah. the whole thing in the cooler where they cut it for, like, because I think William H. Macy is about to you know uh, perform oral sex on that on his partner and they had a real problem with that they're like there's some weird thing about two women getting pleasure in movies that the the censors don't like here um god forbid a woman has to it's it's very fucked up i don't it's it's a whole nother conversation we can go into but um that's why i feel like me and uh carmelita had talked about verhoeven movies and i think we're gonna eventually talk about total recall but i we maybe talk about basic instinct. And I thought like that's a whole conversation about like sexuality in movies and like, you know, what's allowed and what's not allowed. And, um, and the Jean triple horn character is just, it could be a podcast on its own. Oh. It's yeah. <laughs> it's a lot to say about that movie, but um, it's, it's just brilliant those, though. <laughs> it is. It's, I was blown away by the film. Like truly this last time I watched it, which was pretty recently, I was like blown away by 
the filmmaking, how good it is. Because everyone, if like Boogie Nights too, an amazing movie, but everybody gets so stuck on the sexuality of it. Like that's all anyone talks about is like, oh my god, yeah. it's about sex, about porn. But but it's like you watch it and you get away from that, and you're like, oh, it's just a really, really great movie. <laughs> like it's about it's about family, just like the Fast movies, guys. That's what, uh, Boogie Nights. <laughs> oh is. god, there's a double for your show. <laughs> I don't have friends. I have, or something. I don't have friends. I have family. Because it's true. That movie it's is true. about. It is all about family. I didn't get that for a long time at Boogie Nights, and I years did later, I. the more mature person came back to it and was like, "Oh, this is like a beautiful movie about like making a family unit when you don't have like a real family to go to." Like um, exactly. Yeah, it's oh man, I love Boogie Nights too. That's that's a funny story about like. My mom rented that because it was a really up, up for Oscars, very popular mm. movie. But um, I came downstairs one night. She'd rented it, and I came to ask her a question or something. And the way our house was set up, you come down the stairs, and you turn, and you can see the person watching TV in the living room, but you can't see the TV. So I could see my mom in the chair, and she looked like she was shocked, like she'd seen a ghost. And then I'm like, hey, and she sees me, and she goes, don't come in here. You shouldn't see this. I shouldn't be seeing this. Like, <laughs> I this. Um, like this is just too much for her this uh nice woman from indiana like who's just like no 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 like um they're having sex, sex. <laughs> like no no this this is sex you get out of here like um so yeah just so funny every other country seemed like they're cool with like sexuality and like mm. violence is more sensitive america is the complete opposite and that people talk about this a lot but it's just it's weird pilgrims mm. that formed us and yes just, yeah. <laughs> You can kill all these people that you want, but you just don't you dare show a woman having getting pleasure or something, you know? <laughs> like, you'll get an X rating. Oh, <laughs> yes, which I think Paul Verhoeven was always trying to get. Like, and I got a sneaking suspicion if the theatrical came out as the way that Tony Scott wanted it, it might have been an X purely just right. for that uh, scene because Melon Stowe's having a looks like she's having a great time and. <laughs> And yeah. enjoying herself a lot, and which is great because Kevin Costner's a hottie, like especially in 1989, 1990, Kevin Costner's a real hottie, even if he can't dance. Um, <laughs> this is fascinating to me because, again, uh, like, I mean, I, I don't know how to judge, like, you know, but I, like I can see guys who I think would be objectively attractive. Like I see like Jason Momoa. I'm like, oh, of course, every woman loves Jason Momoa. But like Kevin Costner's a guy I look at. I'm like, huh. But I mean, I'm curious now if other women find Kevin Costner at this time. 1990 attractive i just never really thought of him as like one of the hotties of, of that time <laughs> he, he kind of transitioned to very serious but i think before he before dances with wolves i think he was considered a hottie like he's just got that <laughs> clean cut kind of good boy kind of vibe that everyone loved and then of course he makes revenge and people just went hmm what <laughs> um not sure about this um, yeah. But yeah, no, I think he was like I prefer old man Costner myself. If he's sitting on a bench being grumpy, but <laughs> that's just where my taste lies. But no, I think he kind of was. I think he was kind of considered this young hot kind of property um, who could be the good boy, and Hollywood loves a hot good boy. <laughs> <laughs> they do. I would I would love to hear after this episode people anybody tells us like he was attractive at this time and like it, i'm just saying i, I don't know but uh it, if you do that's cool i just didn't i didn't know that i didn't see that so um that is fascinating but yes all that talk to say that revenge has sex and violence so it yes. makes everybody upset uh, <laughs> it does <laughs> it's it everybody off so and it commits um, the cardinal scene of killing a dog <laughs> <laughs> oh so painful i love how tony scott in the commentary too and i he's like 
everyone was so mad at me for murdering the dog, but then we uh, beat Kevin Costner almost to death and hurt Madeline Stowe, but everyone, all they could talk about was a dog being killed. <laughs> I'm like, yeah, Tony, that's how it goes. When dogs are innocent. Uh, we don't want them to get hurt. So. No, if you do, you have to go John Wick, and Kevin yeah. Costner just didn't go John Wick enough. I'm sorry. Yeah, um, that's what, uh, he, I, I will say, Tony Scott, I thought this was a funny note, that that, that dog, he said, lived to be like 16 years old. <laughs> oh, good plus he's a good dog. He is he's he a cool laid back dog. He was a good dog. dog. He was a good boy. So when I first saw it, I was shocked. I think I gasped and like came off my couch. I was like, no, like that poor dog. Because it's so brutal. It gets like shot and pulled back. And they said they did. Yeah. I was a little worried because I'm like, how did they do this with this dog? And he says they did like like rig something up and pull him back. And I'm oh. like, oh. But he said he was okay. He like he said the dog lived to be very old when he was doing the commentary. He's like, as far as I know, the dog's still alive. He's like 16. So he lived a long, healthy life, it sounded like. So that dog was okay, everybody. Well, this is this is a movie where it's not on the director's cut, which I'm kind of grateful for. But Anthony Quinn picks up a Rottweiler and throws it in a pool. Yeah, that was um, an insane part where I was like, why was that in here? I think it's meant to show his assholery and his dominance. Yeah. But I'm like, what did the Rottweiler do? Yeah, the Rottweilers uh, are like the happiest, dumbest, beautiful like, I don't, yeah, I guess it's because it's the owner who treats them like shit. But Rottweilers don't have, most Rottweilers I've met don't have that kind of vicious nature. They're just big, lumpy goofballs. <laughs> and yeah. and just to pick one up and throw one in a pool, and like, they are not like like dogs. Yeah. Not <laughs> They're cool huge. <laughs> um, not that he was that strong, but yeah. <laughs> um. Well, I, I can't think of anything else to say on revenge. If you have anything else to wrap up with? Or... No, no, I am good. Okay, well, I've had you... my revenge. <laughs> <laughs> I'm glad you did this, and I'm glad you mostly liked the movie. I'm glad I didn't make you watch a movie that you absolutely hated. That's always nice. <laughs> <laughs> no, it was definitely a surprise, considering I thought I had seen it, and then I had not. <laughs> so, yeah, I hope people enjoyed these um, these tangents. Of the... I, I didn't think we'd talk as long about revenge, but I, I haven't talked to you in so long before today that I think I was just enjoying talking about random movies and things like that. So. We need, we needed a catch up. So this was good. We did. We did. This was good. So, um, yes, we'll have to do something again soon. So, um, well, that's it on revenge and, um, on next, so next on Scottable will be days of thunder, which is a very different movie than revenge. And, uh, <laughs> um daniel epler we've gone for that one um, oh excellent uh, he's i told him i'm joking i'm like you're, you're trying like the car movie guy it's like fast nine days of thunder i was like what's your next car movie <laughs> yes he has to do yes he has to drive angry next <laughs> oh yeah there you go uh <laughs> love that trailer pick on the last episode you and him just did <laughs> it was yes it was a very good trailer pick i was good. very happy when he picked that <laughs> well well thank you again for talking about this movie and i will let you go ahead and just uh plug all your stuff, your podcast, people can follow you, all, all that good stuff. So, uh, Yeah, if you want to um, listen to the podcast, Luck and All, you can find that on any uh, podcast app. Um, if you want to follow me on Twitter and Instagram, it's Schlock and All One. Um, and if you just want to follow me on Twitter or, uh, I guess, Letterboxd, it's just Reading Geek. So, um, yeah, that's where you can find me. Fantastic. Yeah. And uh, everyone should be following you if they're not already, because you're a super fun, fun, a super fun person to follow. That was hard to say. Uh, <laughs> and uh, and you are just rolling with shock and all. I love it. I'm like, Lindsay's like a podcast machine. I feel like like I've taken like some breaks and I know you like I think you recorded a whole bunch of episodes kind of in a batch and like and like I think a while back and like rolled them out. And um, yeah, I mean, I just I just every week I'm like always so excited to see what the double's going to be you know it's like what's what's the crazy feature i mean you have great guests too so um it's a very fun show people want to listen to i think they would be by this point if they're not they should be listening to it <laughs> so, um no, 
I know some very good people through podcasting and I'm very, very lucky to have them on, on my show. So, um, yeah, no, I'm, I'm delighted that I still get to do this. Yeah. It's been a lot of fun. I'm glad we both started podcasts like around the same time because yes, yeah, I get yeah. talk to people and like have this outlet for movie conversation that, um, I just don't have my normal life. Cause like nobody wants to talk about revenge for two hours in my normal no. life. So, no um, heard, Tony well, Scott movies. Yeah. No, no one's really heard of Revenge. Like, you go, oh, yeah, that Revenge movie. And they're like, what? And even not the, even the <laughs> 2017 movie as well. So it's kind of, it's very sad. So the fact that I got to talk to two hours about Revenge just is, is a delight. <laughs> it doesn't help that it's a very generic title and, like, there's a yeah. lot of movies called Revenge. It's uh, it's tough. But, uh, but um, but yeah, so this was, yeah, this was fun. Um, and I love your train of thought. But, yeah, so uh, I guess for our stuff, I'll just plug the stuff. Um, if would be awesome if you guys wanted to rate and review us in the apple podcast store whatever it's called now um that apparently really helped the show i'd appreciate it um you can follow the podcast on twitter at film feast pod um you can follow me on twitter at maplet 87 and you can follow uh, me and the podcast on instagram which is film feast all one word um so Lindsay, thank you again this was a ton of fun and we will talk to you guys next time bye